0: Hello, and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history, as told card by card.
1: I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing pretty well. I just discovered uh, a new USB port in the side of my keyboard, the keyboard that I've had for about two years. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so my microphone's plugged into there right now, and I'm feeling uh, like a baller. That sounds
0: slick. That's a that's a little bit like digging through a box of bulk and being like, "Wait, this uncommon is
1: worth twelve dollars now." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me a bit with uh, some of my Kamigawa cards, the the foil ones. I didn't know I had. I discovered
0: many of my foil Kamigawa cards are in a box in my garage. I hadn't opened in like five years, and they are ruined by being in a garage. And I feel, no. yeah, that's not good. Anyway, Connor.
1: Speaking of Kamigawa, what are we here to do today? Well, we are here to uh almost finish up our set review of betrayers of kamigawa we're looking at all of the green cards uh and then after that we just have one gold card and artifacts and lands um so we're going all the way through green today
0: yeah and if you're uh new to the show or new to our kamigawa reviews we are going all the way through the original kamigawa block reviewing it card by card and building a cube along the way uh, if you want to start from the beginning, which is a lot of content, but you're welcome to, uh, you can start either with episode one where we begin reviewing Champions of Kamigawa or with episode, oh boy, is it, it's 15? What is it? 14. Anyway, you can start with the Pretorias of Kamigawa White episode uh, if you want to start there, but you don't need to. You can just start here and, and listen to us talk about Kamigawa.
1: I think a, lo- a lot of content is a good thing, Austin. I that, Thank you. Connor, that's a great growth
0: mindset reframe, which, you know what? A growth mindset is a good mindset to have when you're talking about Kamigawa cards
1: it is and we we will need it today yeah green is uh, green green something should we get started let's do it
0: all right well first up today we have body of jukai body of jukai is 7gg for an 85 spirit with trample and soul shift 8 and soul shift is When this dies, you may return target spirit with mana value eight or less from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, So I like this guy on paper as a giant beater, but I'm an instacut and I know you're an instacut. uh, So we're both instacuts on this thing because nine mana is just too much. Even in a slow format, like our Kamigawa set cube, nine mana is just not happening many, many games. Uh, And
1: it just doesn't make the grade. It is it is so much nine mana for and for an eight five you know with with no etb no immediate impact like it just it
0: can't can't make the cut and this isn't even like a power creep thing like it, contemporaneously this does terribly too like onslaught had a card called silvos rogue elemental which was three g g for an eight five trampler with g regenerate so here we've tacked on three mana and lost the regenerate gained soul shift and that's not a trade I'm happy with. Mm-mm. All right, should we Instacut this puppy and move on?
1: Let's cut it out. And while we're talking about Instacut, just in case you are tuning into this episode and don't want to go back to episode one or episode 14, uh, the rating scale that we're going to use for all the cards today is uh, our Impab scale. I stands for Instacut, which you just heard. And then we have Meh, Playable, Auto Include, and Build Around, um, which you may see all of in today's episode. Yeah, and if you go to clockspinning.com, you'll find a a link to the cube, and we've tagged each card we've reviewed with our rating. Anyway, let's move on to card number two here, which is Budoka Pupil. This is 1 GG for a 2-2 human monk. Uh, It's a flip card, so bear with me here. The top half of the card says, Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, you may put a key counter on Budoka Pupil. At the beginning of the end step, if there are two or more key counters on Budoka Pupil, you may flip it and then flips into Ichiga who topples oaks, which is a legendary spirit 4-3 with trample. And you can remove a key counter from Ichiga who topples oaks. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. You know, as I'm reading this out, I think that you, Austin, may have covered every other flip card that we've ever talked about, because I'm not sure I've ever had to slog my way through one of these before. It's a lot of text it is a lot of text but unfortunately there's just nothing about all of this text that excites me it's the old flip card problem we've
0: talked about this uh i think a number of times now because we've talked about a lot of flip cards there's a reason they never brought flip cards back and that they returned to the idea as an actual double face card which is just these text boxes are too small to do anything that interesting so like this guy is like gray ogre that could flip into 4-3 Trampler with like selective boosting. This is actually more interesting than a lot of the other flip cards we've talked about, to be honest. Like it's got a keyword mechanic, which usually they don't find room for. But I don't know. This is just not getting my pulse racing. I, I do think actually the back half here is is deceptively powerful. Like a 4-3 Trampler is certainly on rate. Uh, and having that onboard trick just makes combat math a consistent nightmare for your opponent. Like plus 2 plus 2 is enough to, to win pretty much any tussle, especially in this block. But that front side of a 1GG Grey Ogre in green in a color that doesn't get much arcane, and so you're, it's hard to get the spirit craft trigger to get the key counter, Ugh, It's it, this is a meh for me. This is a poster child meh.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a meh for me too. I mean, the, the Grey Ogre top side, not too great. The trample is, is interesting. It's actually surprisingly uncommon on green creatures. At least it, it feels that way compared to green as we see it nowadays, where it seems like any green creature of any size has at least trample if not vigilance or something else going on so the trample is relevant it's it's kind of hard to actually see that keyword on here like i barely noticed that ichiga who topples oaks has trample typesetting wise it's really easy
0: to miss yeah it's true it really
1: is yeah and none of the other like as you point out i i think maybe one of the other flip cards has a keyword Uh, i was just double checking that though
0: white one has flying that's right none of the rest of them have any keyword which honestly is even more confusing like i think they could all have keywords i don't know this this whole cycle is such a such a man
1: cycle for me so i i mean the trample is is good the plus two plus two is is nice to have and i think makes it more relevant than the other flip cards in this cycle but i just can't get excited about uh just pumping on a stick yeah, while we're not getting excited about this card, I, I can't get
0: too excited about the art either. Almost all the flip cards have pretty medium art because they have an impossible task of depicting like two figures in a clear way in a frame that's like 30% smaller than a standard frame. So it's, a, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to dump on Shishizaru here. This is a really hard ask, but this this art is just kind of mad. Like the front, the top half is just a, a monk guy and it's fine. He's just a monk. But the back half is just like a, a small kind of demon monk. And like both of them to me just look like sort of slush art from a Final Fantasy ad or something. Like
1: they're just mm-hmm. really, really bland. Yeah, they both just kind of look like separate Yu-Gi-Oh cards that were <laughs> like one was flipped upside down. That's the other thing is all these flip cards, you know, one half of the art is going to be upside down from whichever perspective you're looking at it. There's no winning position. They're always wrong. Really isn't one here. Yeah.
0: What about for the card itself? Does this land in a winning position? I have it at a meh 1x.
1: Yeah, I think meh 1x is right, which I'm not sure we can call that a winning position.
0: After all the dark talk, why does this rise to meh for us? For me, it rises to meh just because it is a pretty unique effect, this ability to boost. Uh, It incentivizes some different things for um, green to do than uh, we've seen elsewhere in the set. Like I like that it's incentivizing green to lean a little bit harder in spirit and arcane direction. So that that's enough for me to save it from the instacut chopping block.
1: Yeah. For me it's it's mostly the green is kind of light on three drops compared to other colors in mm. in the cube as it's it true. stands yeah, right now. True. Uh and and three is is a slot that most of the other colors uh are kind of like over committed to, but green doesn't have that many three drops, so I feel like there's room for the pupil slash Ichiga.
0: It's a great call-out because, yeah, other other colors have pretty stacked three drops. Like, I'm looking at black, and we got Thief of Hope. White, of course, we got Kitsune Blade Master, who we promote every single episode contractually. Red has Brothers Yamazaki and Ronin Houndmaster. I, I don't know if blue has anything that exciting. No, it does not. Um, but uh, we don't expect that for blue. But yeah, you're right. Green, it's like, green should have some good three drops. And we're going to talk about one... Very solid three drop later in the episode, but the rest of green's threes are pretty meh uh, and weirdly not, not beaters. There's not a lot of beef going on in the three drop slot for green.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Not that this is a lot of beef, but you know, it's, no, it's, an, it's a gray ogre, but it can become an above curve
0: creature in a way that green would just get for one GG naturally today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good
0: stuff. Let's, let's move on. eh? let's talk about child of thorns. G for a 1-1 spirit. Sack it. Target creature gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. And then the flavor text. The Soratami scoff at the perils of Jukai, calling the forest an unruly garden. Perhaps we should send them a rose such as this. Dokai, Weaver of Life. So uh, this card, I think speculatively, and I'll I'll clarify, I'm not 100% sure of this, but I'm pretty sure this card competes a long-running multi-year cycle called the Martyr Cycle, uh, which begins with Mog Fanatic uh, and Blood Pet. So Mog Fanatic was an iconic card back in the day. Uh, It's a single red. It's a 1-1 goblin. You could sac it to deal one damage to any target, and it played a lot better than it sounds. I mean, nowadays, we've got Raghavan, right? So like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't sound like much. But a, a creature that could punch above its weight, that could mess with combat math, and that crucially in an era of damage on the stack could kind of trade up or get a two for one off a one drop was like really good. Mog Fanatic was an iconic card for a long, long time. Blood Pet was fine. And then that was continued a couple sets later with a hapless researcher in blue and benevolent bodyguard in white. There's a great article here called Mons Made Me Do It. It's a total old school Mark Rosewater article. It'll make you nostalgic if you remember these. Just talking about goblins in like a kind of trivia, goofy Mark Rosewater way where he just lists a bunch of stuff. He does a tricky thing where he says like, keep going, keep going. And he makes you scroll for like 40 page heights, blah, blah, blah. But in here, he cites this as an incomplete cycle saying we've never done the green one. Uh, and I'm pretty hmm. sure a couple of years later, we see the green one here in Child of Thorns. Now, all of that is a very long way of saying, this is no mock fanatic, is it, Connor? <laughs> I'm so sad
1: looking at this and not even getting a plus one, plus one counter out of it. It's just a, a one turn buff, the sa- smallest, saddest buff. Yeah, I, I
0: think even with our kind of like damage on the stack House rule, this is still an insta-cut for me. Like one drops rarely, one mana one ones are tough to make work in cube unless you have a very aggro color. We definitely don't have a very aggro color here in green. I'm just I'm just not liking this card.
1: I feel like I would really have to think of the situation where I would like, would want Child of Thorns to, to be in my deck. And I frankly, I just <laughs> don't want to think about it that much. Should we move on and insta-cut this thing? Yeah, let's cut it out okay next up we have enshrined memories this is x and a g for a sorcery it says reveal the top x cards of your library put all creature cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order and the flavor text says the race is run in the mind before the first step is taken dose on the falling leaf Kind of the most generic, ridiculous, like, <laughs> like gong, sensei wisdom flavor text yeah. imaginable. Yeah, it really is. Nothing to do with uh looking at cards from the top of your library. What do you mean? <laughs> but, but but I actually do like this card quite a bit. I feel like green has some ramp, some pretty awkward ramp that we'll be looking at later in the episode. There's some ramp there, but it feels like there's very few payoffs for it other than being able to play some really, really overcosted creatures. And this feels like kind of a nice, uh, admittedly modest reward for building like a rampy, stompy, creature-y green deck, w- which is exactly what, you know, green wants to be doing.
0: Yeah, this this card surprised me uh, in that I was surprised I'd never seen it or heard of it uh, in like 20 years of, of playing Magic because it looks like a staple. I do worry there's a bit of a hint about its playability embedded in that. Like this reads initially to me as like, do all the things Green wants for X mana as many times as you want. You know, as much as you can pay X, that's how many times you get to do what you want. But eh, in practice, I think there's a there's a there's a couple downsides here. Like one is, on average or at best, maybe fifty percent of your deck would be creatures. That's probably high, right? Forty percent is land. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the greeniest green deck, fifty percent is tricky. But let's assume fifty percent. So if you cast this for like six, like five and a G. On average, you're drawing like two to three creatures. That's not terrible for X and a G, but it's also not blowing me away. One of the real tensions in this card, I found an ancient Star City Games article that talks about this. Notes there's like, there's just a tension in this card. Like you want to get lots of cards and you want to cast them quickly. That's what this card is asking you to do, right? It's asking you to have your deck stuffed with creatures and then be able to drop them all next turn. So you start to build velocity. But this card costs lots of mana. And so like it, it's sort of cutting against itself. I don't I'm not I'm sure articulating that theorycrafting very well, but like there's just a kind of uh, there's a certain like jankiness to this card that I think will be tough to overcome.
1: Yeah. As we're kind of like talking about the the scenarios where or, you know, like thinking through how many cards you would get out of enshrined memories, I'm kind of like realizing that I don't I don't think I would ever want to play this for less than maybe five mana. You know, you're not, you're not casting this for two mana to look at the top card of your library and hope that it's a creature that you get to draw, right? Like you're waiting. Yeah, the whiff
0: risk is really high. I mean, even at like X equals five, you got a pretty good shot at whiffing,
1: right? Or at like four, three lands, a sorcery and a creature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you you kind of have to wait until pretty late in the game. So it's, the card is asking you to kind of take a pretty late turn off and hope that you're getting, you know, a good, big payoff out of that on a future turn i i like the idea of that because it can really like bust open a stalemate and we have seen in some of the testing of the cube that there are stalemates that come up mm-hmm. but it feels like a very bad way to spend a turn six or a turn seven if you're kind of behind
0: it's it's kind of a, a great example a real life example of like tempo versus card advantage like this has the potential to give you a decent amount of card advantage the question is like can you make, is it enough to make up for the tempo loss, right? The tempo loss of taking a whole turn off. And then you still need to spend the mana afterward to do something about it, right? Like you've, you contrast it with some of the other green spells along these lines, like court of calling green Sun's Zenith finale of devastation, like all of these cards get you something immediately, right? So you're not, they're mitigating that tempo hit. Whereas this thing, like you, you, you are taking a full turn off. You have the risk of whiffing and, Um, once you get back around to it, like you you still got to spend the mana.
1: Yeah. So it's basically the Kamigawa version of all of those better (laughs) cards. Yes. No,
0: as as I said it, I started to think the same thing, which makes me think like in our cube, like it's probably fine, right? It's probably fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, but, Putting it that way, it, it makes total sense. Like I was kind of surprised looking at this that it hasn't seen any kind of like re- commander reprint or any reprint anywhere. Uh, but as you compare it to all of those cards, it's like, OK, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. But here, you know, against other Kamigawa cards, I think it's actually could be decent.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it's essentially unplayed in EDH, appearing in just 464 decks. Probably because, as we're saying, it's like maybe at best the eighth best like green X spell that lets you get cards. But you know what? I think that's good enough for our cube. I'm going to call this. I had it a meh, but uh, I, I. where do you have it?
1: I, I have it at playable. I think you should come on up.
0: I'm going to come on up. Let's call it playable 1X. All right. And honestly, unless it completely disappoints in in testing, it's hard to see it getting cut just because there's nothing else that does anything along these lines.
1: Yeah. Okay, I will say, actually, uh, what this card made me think of was Commune with Nature, which is another card we saw in Kamigawa, which is basically one green mana to look at the top five cards of your library and grab a creature. Is it just a creature? Right, the first green cantrip. Yeah, it's just a creature. So you don't have any land backup or anything, but... I I don't know how often I would actually want enshrined memories in my hand over commune with nature. But, you know, this this has a much more of a crazy high ceiling potential than uh-huh. a way that might be fun sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, let's call it a playable one X. Uh, one other thing I like about this card is it's playing
0: in a slightly different flavor space for green than we normally see. Like enshrined memories is a sort of together with the art depicting, I don't know, ghosts or something. Um, it suggests this sort of like ritual devotion to the past that, and we mostly see as a white thing. Um, but it fits in Green's like flavor identity for me of like caring about tradition, caring about like the way things are done, caring about like the broader uh, ecosystem in which we live, the broader environment in which we live. So I, I like the flavor space this is playing with. Uh, none of that seems to have anything to do with Dosan's generic like Zen quote uh here and i don't really know why we got that when we could have gotten something that acknowledges the effect but you know i like i like that slightly unusual flavor space
1: i like that too but the art does kind of just look like a bunch of creatures uh, like basically coming out of a pokeball <laughs> so i don't know how that fits in uh yeah it's like a stump it's
0: like a a stump with a bell on top it's a shrine is it a shrine it's pretty small i guess it's one of those little Japanese shrines. Yeah, the memories are enshrined in there. All right, coming up next, we have Forked Branch Garami 3GG for a 4-4 spirit. And it has Soul Shift 4, Soul Shift 4. Whoa? Whoa? So yeah, this is a, this is a doubled up keyword mechanic, which I think, I'm not hard, sure because it's hard to search Scryfall for it. I think this is the first time ever that Watsi had doubled up the same keyword mechanic, which is very, very fun. Um, I absolutely love this card. This is maybe in my top five cards in the entire block. And I think it's because maybe the thing I like most about Magic is its mechanical design. I like how big and expansive and adaptable it is as a game, as a rule set. Uh, And this card illustrates it, right? It does something very simple. It just takes an ability and doubles it, but it plays out in a completely different way and it tickles your brain in a different way. This isn't quite like Cascade, Cascade or Cascade, 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 as we've seen on a few other cards, but it's like, uh, it's the Kamigawa version of that, right? Just like uh, Enshrine Memories was the Kamigawa version of uh, Green Sun Zenith. I can't think of too many other keywords that operate like this. Uh, The only one I could think of off the top of my head are Bushido, Bushido, uh, which you can set up in Kamigawa, Flanking, Flanking, which Cavalry Master can set up. But if anyone knows of any others, let me know, because I absolutely love this, like staple a keyword together twice and see what happens kind of
1: thing. That is fun. What do you think about the Garami power level-wise? I, I love the Soul Shift 4, Soul Shift 4. I don't know how strong that ends up being. I think it's entirely adequate. So, honestly, five four
0: four is not... It's never a stat line you're excited about, even in original Kamigawa. But it's certainly not an embarrassing stat line, either. can get some beaten done. It can block pretty well. Uh, and if you do manage to turn this back into two cards on the back end i think that's great so i'm pretty excited about it this feels like a kind of glue card for the black green soul shift deck um you know just it just packs a ton of soul shift in at a pretty flexible number like four is high enough that you can actually get some meaningful
1: creatures back out of it i I do think having the soul shift four soul shift four which i'm just gonna say as much as i can instead of soul shift four twice or whatever i do think that's a lot better than I don't know, let's say having Soul Shift 5, like the, the card advantage you're getting out of that is worth a lot more than, I think, getting a marginally larger spirit.
0: Yeah, there's uh, there's three ways I think we've seen, I'm making up this taxonomy on the fly, but three ways I think we've seen games end in test games uh, in this environment. Uh, way one is obscene uh, bomb that's way high power level, like Moloku. <laughs> that's way one. Uh, Way two is get underneath the opponent with something like, you know, just the white aggro deck of, you know, Katsune Blade Masters and Isamaro's and, you know, uh, things like that. Way three is like a kind of grinding, brutal struggle that can go into like turn 15. And that's where the Garami shines. Like if you're in that kind of environment, this is exactly what you want to do. Like block with this thing, kill, trade off with something powerful, get back two things like that. That's really what you want to do in those grinding environments. Or in this grinding environment. Value. Value. So much value. Yep.
1: What do you think of the the art here? I think this is one of the most memorable spirits for me in Kamigawa art-wise. I, d- I don't know if it's one I like that much, <laughs> um, but there's something about the Garami that really sticks out. It's just sort of barely recognizable as like some kind of living creature, I guess, thanks to these many fingers and tongues that it has going on.
0: I like the creature a lot. I find it a little confusing when you actually look closely like when you look at it i don't know what's i guess glancing at this, I assume it's about ten to fifteen feet. but then when you actually zoom in, there's three tiny figures in the art that imply that this thing is like eighty degrees or eighty feet eighty degrees eighty feet tall that doesn't make any sense
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh the closer you look the bigger it becomes well it doesn't it doesn't really fit in with uh any kind of scale here like the the background is really off-putting to me honestly like there's there's definitely a forest happening here you can see tree trunks you can see uh like these little Arachi houses on the left and right you can see some kind of sky but the, but then what's in the middle the middle is just like just nothing yeah the the middle almost looks to me like some ground was like painted over a forest scene to give the gourami something to stand on it absolutely looks like that because the forest doesn't even like
0: transition into the ground it just sort of like especially on the left side you can see uh, there's this a big branch with little branches it just kind of stops so it's like there's this it's really hard to make any physical sense of what's happening here it it does feel like maybe it honestly if you told me that this background existed first and then the garami was put on top i would believe it it seems I very possible
1: i think that's very very po- possible also the garami
0: itself it's like Obviously, it doesn't have to follow like physics that well because it's a spirit. But he's kind of seems to be leaning back way too far. Like he should be falling over, and then his arm seems way too like he just it, he he doesn't make he doesn't make physical sense in terms of balance. He he looks like he should be about to keel over backwards.
1: He's well, he's he's got a a couple of sets of legs going on there, so it gives him right. Extra but those stability. front legs
0: aren't doing anything for stability, Connor.
1: They're just no. They're 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 a hindrance if anything,
0: unless his claws are digging into this mysterious substrate.
1: Well, it, it helps him uh, move along the f- the floating forest floor more effectively.
0: Yeah, so uh, art's holding this back a little bit for me. It's not a hindrance because, like, when you look at it in actual cardboard size, it's like, oh yeah, there's a freaky spirit creature. Um, I love the mechanics. To me, this is an auto include. I can't imagine a version of this cube that doesn't make room for the old FBG. Um,
1: where do you stand? Yeah. Yeah, I think auto-include is right. And I I feel like we have room at the five-drop slot in green for a couple of them. Yeah, two feels right. This feels like a thing you kind of want to be able to double up on. Yeah. It's a a glue card. The more the merrier. But no more than two. (laughs) One for each of its uh, soul shift fours. Okay, let's go on to another card I don't think we'll be cutting from the cube anytime soon. Uh, Genju of the Cedars. This is one green mana for an aura, an enchantment aura, that enchants a forest, and you can pay two colorless mana to have enchanted forest become a 4-4 green spirit creature until end of turn. It's still a land. And when enchanted forest is put into a graveyard, you may return Genju of the Cedars from your graveyard to your hand. And I'm realizing as I read this aloud that it includes the words enchanted forest, uh, which just as <laughs> as I said that, it brought back some childhood <laughs> memories for me of a uh, a theme park we went to as children. Enchanted
0: Forest, where memories are made. I'm on record. I love the Genju cycle. Uh, this is, um, despite enchanting Enchanted Forest memories back... It's just confused me, Connor, even talking about that. <laughs> it throws you off, right? Despite the wonderful line, Enchanted Forest, this is probably the least fun of the Genju, because all the rest of them have uh, interesting abilities, or at least an interesting stat line in the case of Genju Inspires. This thing is just just a big big old beater but you know what i think a big old recursive 4-4 beater similar to like we said about the garami that's
1: that's enough in this block that is that is something i'm here for that i want i agree it's the most boring of the Genshus, but i think that's that's fine 4-4 is fine
0: yeah 4-4 is fine uh, i'm not gonna go through why i love the cycle so much because we've talked about four of them before but you know if you want to go back to the white episode you can hear me like just absolutely riff on how much i love this this whole cycle I also don't totally love the art here. It's kind of too photorealistic and too boring. like the the monster is very photorealistic, almost like a three d model. but then it's superimposed on just sort of like a painting of the English countryside with some bells around it. like it doesn't it doesn't quite click for me. It's similar to the. A lot of Garami parallels here, but it's similar to the Garami where I just I'm not feeling the combination of the landscape and the background and the the figure.
1: It is a really generic kind of scene that the Genju is in, and then it's like these heads are just eru- erupting out of uh, kind of the most generic, like you're saying, English countryside-looking forest.
0: Again, I hate to speculate, but like, is this is this just like a slush background that had a had a Genju put on top of it? Like the style is different. Like the the trees are very kind of painterly like kind of watercolor like almost like blotted onto the paper and then this genju shows
1: up in photorealistic style and it's weird it does feel a little like this landscape was just laying around and arnie swickle uh, picked up the canvas <laughs> and added this genju into it yeah especially because so many other things in kamigawa are like all kamigawa all the time
0: right they're like all kind of trad- japanese or they evoke traditional ap- japanese illustration and landscapes and I mean, i'm sure there's places in japan that look like deciduous forests and green Fields, but it's not like it's not the image that snaps to your mind when you think of an iconic Japanese forest landscape, for sure.
1: Right, and it's it's not the the landscape that we've been kind of given or you know led to expect in Kamigawa.
0: Also, this is a Genju of the cedars, and almost every tree in this landscape appears to be deciduous. <laughs> got them got him. Total expose here. Anyway, I'm going to auto include one X. I love this cycle. I don't want to cut any of them. I don't think we need more than one of any. Certainly not of this one.
1: I have this one at, at playable just because I don't like it as much, but I think auto include is more accurate. So <laughs> you keep that.
0: Sneak me down to playable on one of these. You're not gonna, Connor. It's auto include is fine. They're all gonna come in at auto include. All right, let's talk about strangely, one of the most iconic cards of the block for me, gnarled mass. Gnarled Mass is one GG for a three three spirit. That's it. That's the whole card. Uh the flavor text. On the 57th day of the Battle of Silk, the bell again tolled in hopes of summoning mortal aid. This time, a new breed of Kami rose to answer its call. Great Battles of Kamigawa. So uh, I cast this against our uh, mutual friend, Eric, in a test game a while, ba- a while back. Uh, and all Eric said was, whoa. Like, genuinely impressed. Wow, 3-3 three, three for three mana. What am I going to do about it? And I think that says it all. Like, this thing has been outclassed Uh, Six ways from Sunday since it was printed by like cards from like Tranquil Frillback, most recently to like Barkhide Troll, which is just like, and Colonian Tusker, which are like this card, but for two mana. (laughs) Uh, But in this format, Gnarled Mass is a body. It's just a big, huge roadblock. It beats everything else in the three drop slot. It gets in for damage. Like it soul shifts amazing. Like this is just a really, really uh, solid body. And it's hard to argue with.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I can't add much more on a, a three mana, three, three, but I I think legitimately the only three drop that this gets beaten by in the entire block is Kitsune Blademaster, which has first strike. Everything else, Gnarled Mass is going to outclass. Yeah, there's a
0: great quote I ran across. It's a little bit extended, so forgive me, from a drafting article from Star City Games back in the day, um, where Chad Ellis wrote, In my opinion, Gnarled Mass is weaker than any of its rivals in the Abstract. I'll go further and say that green is at best in the middle in Betrayers in the Abstract. Thankfully, we're talking about archetypes. The whole idea of card power in the Abstract just doesn't matter, because it's meaningless. Yes, I'm going to keep on saying that. Gnarled Mass is a simply lovely card for a green beatdown deck. Very few three drops can stand up to it, with only Katsune Blademaster able to win in a fight, and that's ignoring the fact that green has the best combat tricks. It sits in the natural hole in green's curve. Now, instead of desperately needing a mana ramper on turn two, so you can play a real threat on turn three, you're often able to play a bear on turn two, a giant on turn three, and another threat on turn four. That changes the whole game. And I love that quote because obviously it's a pro-gnarled mass, but also it speaks to the way that cards don't get evaluated in a vacuum, right? Like in a vacuum, this card sucks. <laughs> but in our block, in the specific needs green has, or as we were just talking about, it's three drops or a little weak compared to other colors like this is exactly what you need. You need this big, thick,
1: gnarled body. <laughs> yeah, and and when you just want to curve out, like we're going to see a few other cards, I think that like just play well on curve. And in, in this cube, that is worth a lot. Absolutely. One other point in this card's favor is just the incredible
0: art. For me, this card was a moment to pause and recognize like how much great art there is in the original Kamigawa block. Um like you see card after card with these weird, wacky, horrific spirit arts and they kind of blur together until you pause and go, this is an incredible piece. Like if this was in any other set, I think we'd still be talking about this like mouth with like snake to- like tusks that turn into other mouths with snake tongues of their own. Like this is a horrific crazy like fever dream of a piece uh, that could only exist in Kamigawa
1: and it's incre- it's an incredible piece of art it's it's amazing i i really really love this art like everything about it stylistically it's awesome i love the the dark dark shadows in in its mouth and this bright reflection on the tongue this like horrifying tongue which also has talons on it coming out of the gnarled mass there's this kind of shapelessness to it where it's it's coming out of the roots but it's still part of these roots all around it um it has these snake mouths but they're you, they're not tusks they're not arms they're not uh, a mustache like they're a little bit of everything <laughs> yeah and yeah, it, yeah. it just works like we're talking about a gnarled mass here just this tangled like web of uh, meat and wood i guess <laughs> spirit meat um and it just <laughs> it really works it really does
0: this artist uh tony Sk- Goodlow, sorry uh, for almost certainly mispronouncing that. Not on my radar. He hasn't done any pieces since uh, the original Time Spiral where he did Spike Tiller and Barb Shocker. Uh, This is actually one of his last pieces ever, but he's done a few other uh, iconic pieces mixed in with um, some frankly not great ones. Um, Probably the most notable card he's done, it looks like is Sliver Overlord. He also did uh, the eighth edition art for Grave Pact and a personal favorite of mine, Ageless Sentinels. So um, nice nice to pause on this thing. Just a nice piece of art. We
1: love us a gnarled mass, we really do. So,
0: what's that all add up to you, mathematically, Connor? How, what rating and how many?
1: I mean, I think it's got to be an auto include. There's just no, I don't think any universe where gnarled mass is is going away. We get laughed out of the Kanagawa fan club. We really would. Uh, and I, I like having three of them. I, I like the the symmetry of having three, three mana, three threes. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that feels like a good reason in and of itself
0: that's that's totally good enough reason let's just start there three auto include three
1: yeah we're not gonna want
0: less of these no i i don't think we will
1: okay let's uh let's go to a spirit that i think we will want as little love as possible <laughs> um harbinger of spring 4g for a 2-1 spirit with protection from non-spirit creatures and soul shift four. there's only one other card in the block in in this notably weak block that can match harbinger of spring for sheer non-power and that's Skullmane baku which is also a five mana two one in black i don't want i don't want to belabor this too much but there's so many things wrong here protection i think just doesn't matter for a two one like it's just a best case scenario it just lets you block over and over again or slip in like two damage a turret that's not going to work because your opponent is going to have spirits. At least in a Kamigawa cube, you're not going to be against a completely non-spirit creature deck. And the spirits that your opponent has are going to be bigger than the spirit and probably cheaper. In a weird kind of way, I feel like the protection here works against the Soul Shift. Like Soul Shift Four, you you, you know you want this. I mean, you know maybe you don't want it to die, but like you get a payoff when it goes to the graveyard and you get a get a spirit back. But here, having the protection, letting it stick around, is running counter to no, Connor. Ship? That's
0: the inevitability when your opponent finally deals with your two-one like monster card. Then they have to deal with what the gnarled
1: mass you're bringing back. No, oh, no, that well, that you you just want the harbinger of spring to die so you can get the gnarled mass back. I was just going to say, and what honestly would you ever want? this over Donald bass i'm not sure you would yeah like i like i can't think of this scenario where you want this over whatever like four mana or less spirit you are soul shifting back with it
0: like just (laughs) give me the spirit you need to chip in the last couple points but the problem is you said is that like it's rare that you have a completely mortal or completely spirit deck. You usually have at least a handful of enemy agents in the midst of your deck, even if you're leaning one direction, the other. And so, and this dies to literally everything. So it's just like the theoretical unblockability doesn't matter that much. And on defense, like it's got two power, like who cares? It's just
1: meh. Yeah. And worst of all, I think for me is that it, the protection that it has is from non-spirit creatures. Doesn't do anything to non-creature spells, so this still dies to I. What I think was is like the most egregious example. This dies to first volley. <laughs> well, it died
0: that anyway, right? Even if that had protection from I don't know non-arcane spells, it would still be like for flavor reasons. And flavor is sacred in Kamigawa. We can't have this die.
1: That is that is a great point.
0: Also, why is why is protection from non-spirit creatures? What does that have to do with being a harbinger of spring? <sighs>
1: I don't know. There, there wasn't any room for flavor text here because of the soul shift, uh, parenthetical explanation.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, this is one, one of those where I just, I knew you were the one reading it out and I wrote no comments. Cause I just can't, there's nothing to get excited about here. The art is fine. No. It's not amazing, but it's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, I guess it's spring in there. Yeah. That's all I got. Let's cut it. All right. Uh, Notably the artist
0: here, Kara Mitten, did just two pieces. Uh, This and another card we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, Life Spinner. All right, next up, we have a really unusual card, Isao, Enlightened Bushi. Two and a G for a 2-1 Human Samurai. Uh, Isao can't be countered. He's got Bushido 2, which means when he blocks or becomes blocked, it gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. And 2, Regenerate Target Samurai. So uh, running through all that a weird assembly of things uh, together again. That's a three mana, two, one. Kip countered Bushido two to regenerate any samurai. Another the flavor text. I do not care if he claims no allegiance in this war. Find him, Tekeno, Lord Kanda. Okay, this is a funky card. Uh, this was the only green samurai in the block, uh, although he's gotten four or five uh, friends since then uh, across some master's sets and the new Kamigawa set. I think he's a little bit deceptive off the start. Like the ability reads like regenerate target samurai, put this in a samurai deck, but I think that's the wrong way to read it. I think the better way is three mana, two, one Bushido two, slightly expensive regeneration. Um, I don't know. The impact of that Connor seems pretty limited to me, uh, at least in our environment. Like nobody's countering him because the counter spells in this set are terrible. He does trade up in combat, but I don't know, even given that, he's like, he's kind of just a gray ogre that you don't want to block with an expensive regenerate. Like, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it quite works for me, especially when you consider this wasn't standard at the same time as Troll Ascetic, um, which uh, Troll Ascetic, for anyone who's not familiar, is a real beat stick back in the day. 1 GG, 3-2 hexproof, and 1 and a G regenerate. Like, whew, I don't know what they were thinking is what it comes down to for me.
1: Yeah, there was some uh, chatter, I think, in the same spaces as where people were discussing troll aesthetic of Isao being kind of like an anti-blue tech pick in Standard back in the day. But you're right that counters are just so much not a thing <laughs> in Kamigawa and especially in our cube that that first ability seems basically irrelevant here. The Bushido and Regeneration, to me, kind of makes Isao feel like another like stalemate encouraging sort of card. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure I really... If I have Isao, I'm not really sure I want to attack with him all that often. Like I kind of like him better as just hanging back on defense as something that can trade with the vast majority of creatures in Kamigawa without dying. Yeah, that's
0: good. Not not inspirational, but good. Right, like I'm not sure, like that, that seems decent, but it doesn't sound very fun. Right. Now, I guess one question is, is that a hole that the green deck needs filled, right? Like we've talked about the three drop slot being weak. So that's a point in Isao's favor. Uh, unfortunately, he's a human, so he doesn't benefit from any of the soul shift shenanigans Green wants to get up to. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's ever really ending up in a in a samurai deck. You're not splashing Green for just this card, right? That would be madness with our color fixing.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like him as like a meh one x like i i I just you can hear it in my voice like i don't think and yours i don't think either of us feel any better about this than meh yeah i think it's a meh one x that's where i have it as well I, i think if he was at a different spot on the curve i i wouldn't feel inclined to keep him around but like green needs the three drops let's talk about the intangibles
0: before we move on uh first i really like the flavor text here uh i like the kind of urgency in the Lord Kanda quote, it feels more real and human than a lot of uh, Kamigawa flavor text, which I appreciate. Um, and it it creates this whole story. Like, I didn't look if Wizards ever released a story for him. It's possible because they wrote a lot of... Like, a lot, a lot of uh, stuff about Kamigawa lore. Um, but it makes you wonder, like, who is Isao? Like, why did he end up green? Why did he end up becoming kind of a monk? Uh, unlike all the other samurai, why is it so important that Lord Kanda's army has him on their side again? Like, I really... I like the little story that this implies without ever uh, saying.
1: Yeah, it 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 does a lot with very few words in the in the flavor text.
0: Yeah, and that's that's I mean, isn't that the essence of good flavor text?
1: It, it really is, and and I think that the card just generally like there's there's such a, a strong sense of a, a story and a, a background here that is really not revealed at all in the card, um, but that comes across really strongly in the fact that he's a green samurai and that he regenerates samurai. I guess you can't really say much about can't be countered.
0: It's funny you say that
1: about can't be countered. Cause I was
0: thinking, what is the flavor of can't be countered? Like troll aesthetic from the block just before that doesn't have can't be countered, but it's similar with hex proof. Like, it, and it's also kind of a monastic vibe. Is that like what stops you from being countered is like a kind of strong spiritual will. It's a hard one to put in like, you know, flavor terms. It, it's such an abstract
1: thing. It really is. And like the idea of countering, a spell, and I think especially countering a creature is just like that's been portrayed so many different ways in so many different cards, or like even like what what would countering be in in the universe of Magic? Like Isao is not suddenly coming into being.
0: Well, you're summoning the memory of a creature, uh-huh. right? So like a counter is like countering your magic. So what is it about this guy? Like I don't know. Like what what makes Carnage Tyrant uncounterable? What makes like, I kind of get it with Emrakul, right? It feels like it makes sense that Emrakul is uncounterable because she's like an implacable, like, force beyond human reckoning. It's a little harder to say what makes this or Carnage Tyrant or Allosaurus Shepherd. Like, what makes them uncounterable except that it's desirable from a play design perspective? <laughs> right. Except that Green needs some uncounterable creatures. Right. Or the OG uncounterable, uh, Scragnoth, you know, four and a G, three, four, can't be countered. Pro- protection from blue, very relevant card back in the day. Again, have, why is Scragnoth uncounterable? Because he needs to be
1: <laughs> to yeah. do what
0: he needs to do in gameplay terms. Although Scragnoth kind of nods at this with uh, some incredible flavor. We're way off the reservation here, but that's kind of what we do. With some inscrutable flavor text, it possesses no intelligence, only counterintelligence, which. Love. <laughs> this is so great. Maybe that's what's going on with Esau. We have a lot to say about Esau, but we still haven't talked about the art, which is just incredible, right, Connor? It's so cool.
1: I I love this art. there's I don't even know where to start with it. Like the the overall style of it is just amazing. Like this, it we say this a lot, but it has a comic book quality in the best kind of way. Like this could be the cover of a really badass graphic novel. Yes, totally. about some Bushi that's wearing like a rib cage as a breastplate and has these antlers around his waist and this big bloody katana that he's getting ready to swing down with. There's more than waist length black hair streaming behind him in the wind. Yep, yep. This dark
0: brooding expression just, oh, so cool. Yeah, it's so like Image Comics, but in the best possible way. Like it's not corny, it's not cheap like a lot of these. It just looks really, really
1: cool. Yep.
0: Okay, one more thing on this card before we move on. Uh, Put it on your bingo card, ring a bell, whatever you want to do. This is the time in the podcast where I complain about EDH's color identity rules. Here it is. Because this, here it is. This is another really cool card that is rendered moot by the color identity rules in Commander. Like, I I hate these rules. They undermine the essence of magic to me, which is these five colors that interact in complex, unpredictable ways and impose a cost on your deck building of flexibility versus consistency This guy is the one green samurai should totally be in a whole bunch of EDH samurai tribal decks. The only thing stopping him is these silly rules. And I I just wonder what would an alternate reality look like without color identity rules in Commander? I think magic, contemporary magic would be better because they wouldn't have to tack weird colors into all these legends just to make them usable as commanders. I think Commander itself would play better. So like, ah, go back in time, just ban the fetch lands or whatever you need to do to make the mana sane. But like color identity is a bad rule and this card shows why. Whew. Whew. i
1: think you just filled the bingo card there
0: yeah that's right we, uh, we'll, don't worry i'll find a way next episode to bring it back in <laughs> i'm glad where do we land on esau oh did we Did we not land we said so many things yeah rating wise i think he's a bad one x for me
1: yeah <laughs> as much as we uh love him and as much conversation as he sparked i feel like he's just a, a meh have yeah, the
0: playability here i think it's just really marginal like it it just doesn't starting from the fact that it's a tribal samurai and green it doesn't do the things that green needs (laughs) yeah in the set it really doesn't Yep. like what green needs is just for him to not have bushido but just be big
1: yeah just be a three mana four three
0: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah um yeah
1: Mm. okay well let's move on to uh another human that is big evil mori of the open fist two gg for a uh five five legendary human monk with trample and when Iwomori of the open fist enters the battlefield each opponent may put a legendary creature card from their hand onto the battlefield so that's not a great ETB on Iwomori (laughs) no but I do think he could be a serious house in the cube I found this old Star City Games article uh, that was part of a series on how to build a mono green deck for regionals. Comparing Iwomori to Hunted Wumpus, who's a four mana 6-6. Six, six. What does the Wumpus do again? So Hunted Wumpus is a, a four mana 6-6. Six, six. When it enters a battlefield, each other player may put a creature card from their hand onto the battlefield. So the Wumpus is any creature, but it's a 6-6. Six, six. Iwomori is a 5-5 five, five with trample and opponents can only put a legendary creature into play. The thing about the Wumpus is the standard that Wumpus was in, um, you could use it with a card called Contested Cliffs to uh, basically fight down other big threats that were in that standard, like Akroma, Angel of Wrath. Mori obviously can't do that within Kamigawa, but he does come with Trample, which, uh, as I mentioned before, is surprisingly hard to come by in green, and I think that makes him pretty relevant.
0: I don't know. I feel like this is very high risk. So my worry is not actually whether he's playable. It's more whether players will perceive him as playable. Like people don't like downside mechanics. I worry a lot of people will look at this and not have crunched the numbers that we crunch on whether this is realistically that risky and just go, well, I don't want to do that. Anything could happen. So that that's my biggest biggest worry is not that this isn't good, but that it will not get played. Now, I suppose the answer to that could be put it in the cube and show people why they're wrong. I'm not sure they'll seem that definitively wrong. Although 5-5 five, five Trampler is a rate. Um, so much so that he has not been unequivocally outclassed today. I mean, of course he has. There are like a million four green four drops that are way better than this, starting with, uh, I don't know, Questing Beast. But if you just look at like four mana, five, five or bigger creatures in green, there's nothing that's unequivocally in every situation better than this, which is kind of a feat for Kamigawa. And honestly, shocking to me. He shows up in 1000 cubes, which I think is the biggest of any card we're talking about in this episode. And I think that says something like he is just a big, dumb beater. And sometimes that's what we've been saying that a lot. But I think that is what you need, Connor. It really is. You just need to beat on Raiden and beat down. I think you
1: really do. And like the the fact that he has Trample makes the 5-5 much better than, you know, many other creatures that we've seen. Like the very first card we looked at body of Jukai you're getting the trample and an eight five but you're getting you're paying nine mana for that and here we have Evil Mori, who's punching in for five also with five toughness trampling for four mana like that's just that seems nuts to me in Kamigawa and I I kind of I kind of disagree on the way people would perceive the drawback here like there are a lot of legendary creatures in the block and there's going to end up being a lot of legendary creatures in the cube but I don't really think the risk is so high that it would keep people from thinking about throwing this into a green beatdown deck.
0: Yeah, I, I hope you're right. On, on this question of downside, I loved this gatherer quote from a user called Josh Magic. I feel like his downside isn't as bad as it seems. In today's modern, like the format scene, you can easily take a peek at your opponent's hand with reveal, Ketaxian probe, discard stuff, then play him safely. Assuming you play this early, this could be a real smack to the face for someone who isn't prepared. And I just love the idea that, like, this is how you break Ketaxian Probe. <laughs> <It was laughs> no. to enable your Iwamori
1: of the open fist deck. Well, I- Iwamori is why Ketaxian Probe had to be banned.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, that synergy was just off the, off the chain. He's just busting it wide open. One other fun thing about this is I said Wizards wrote like a lot of fiction about this uh, block, and they really did. Uh, There's a very long action short story dedicated to Iwamori called Personal Battles uh, that used to be up on uh, the Watsi website. And I'll go ahead and link this. Uh, It's like a long story about Iwamori fighting uh, the kami of the honored dead. It's called Kami of the Honored Fallen in the story, but I think that's just like an editing error from maybe the name changed in development. Um, but anyway, if you're a magic lore nerd, it's, it's worth reading. It's a fun little story about a card you would never have thought would get a story. Two cards you would never have thought would get a story. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I don't think <laughs> anyone remembers really either of these cards.
1: I cannot remember what Kami of the Honored
0: Dead does. So I had this as an insta-cut. I'm guessing you find that harsh. Where, where would you put
1: this guy? I think that is way too harsh. I have Iwamori at playable 1x.
0: I think playable's generous, but I, you know what? I'm feeling generous. Th- let's bring I him think all the way he's, up.
1: He's playable. playable maybe, maybe we have some scenario where, you know, people just are not drafting or are not playing Iwamori because they're too worried about the, this legendary creature drawback, but I I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's just a big playable beat stick.
0: All right, let's go to Kodama of the center tree. So we know Connor going into this, we know that Kodama Of the North Tree and South Tree are like some of the iconic green creatures in the whole block, right? And some of the strongest. this is going to be good. All right, let's talk about Kodama, the center tree. Four and a G for a star star, legendary spirit. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of spirits you control. And it has soul shift X where X is the number of spirits you control. Oh, Connor, what happened here? This is the center tree. This is the center of the whole forest, the whole Kodama. And the base case here is a Five mana, 1-1 one, one with Soul Shift, 1. What what went wrong here? Like, I feel like the realistic case is like a 3-3. Three, three.
1: Ugh. There, there's actually, like, a surprising number of, of cards in this block with, like, variable power and toughness, depending on how many of whatever thing you have. Uh, and I I feel like almost none of them have, like, a base level of power and toughness that you get. It's just, like... It's a zero zero or a one one in the worst case scenario, and you have to have a lot of things to get any kind of value out of it. It's so painful.
0: Well, he's always a one one, right? Because he's a spirit.
1: Yeah, he's always a one one. There's some cards that are like power toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand for like a six mana creature or whatever. So at least Kodama like will be alive on its own.
0: Yeah, give this guy some of the some of the Tarmogoyf tech. You know, the one plus yeah. star, something like that. You know, a
1: little. bit, Yeah, we just do, a we bit. really don't see that. Huh.
0: That makes me think, when was the first card with a X, you know, a one plus star type power toughness? I'll have to, I'll look into that later and report back.
1: Maybe a, maybe a one plus star episode.
0: Uh. So, uh, I'm mean, going to insta-cut on this. I, I don't want five
1: mana, one ones. It's probably better than that, but I don't, I don't even care. Yeah, a five mana, one one with soul shift one is just not, not working anywhere. All right, let's insta-cut it. Okay, let's talk about Life Gift, and I am not talking about the organ donation nonprofit in Texas, which is huh. the only result that comes up when you search DuckDuckGo for Life Gift. This Life Gift is a two and a green historical enchantment. search, historical search, yes, historical historical search, contemporary to this card and to the organ donation nonprofit in Texas. <laughs> so, this Life Gift is two and a green for an enchantment. And whenever a land enters the battlefield, you may gain one life. Flavor Text says, walk the world and you'll find your soul. Search your soul and you'll discover the world. Diary of Azusa. Gong. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gong is right. (laughs) Oh, So yeah, life gift. Uh, Gain some life there's
0: uh, not much else to say it's a weird card this is one of these cards that feels like it was reprinted from something or would have been reprinted since because it's so sort of basic but it's not this is the one and only life gift even though it looks like a mirage card and kind of reads like a mirage card oh it does probably would have been a house back in mirage time i'm less sure it's a house now although it does trigger on all land drops which is Makes it better, but also makes it a little bit more confusing. And I think I think the incidental life gain here might actually add up to something. Like you dropped this on three and then it just dirtles and hangs around. And eventually it's like, wait a sec, you've gained like seven or eight life. And that's more than you'd expect to gain for three. And every turn you're gaining another, what, probably 0. 0.8 life on average or something? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's not great.
1: Yeah, here it's not great. It does have some interesting implications in edh i think so life gift appears in like 3700 decks which is pretty good for cami gobble card i think it's it could be a lot of fun with something like trellisara uh, where just the trigger is based on each instance of you gaining life you get some benefit as opposed to like the raw amount of life that you're getting so like trellisara gets a plus one plus one counter and lets you scry one whenever you gain life so in a you know four player commander game that's happening all the time when people are playing their lands. So i like life gift there. I'm not really sure what it does here or if it really does anything.
0: Well, we've been talking about a sort of bant turbo fog, gain a bunch of life, eventually mill them out with damp and thought deck. Uh-huh. This yeah. feels like could be part of that. Probably not very good deck.
1: Think so. I it it sounds super annoying to play against, but I do like the, like the idea of just. I mean, this. I'm here for that. Yeah, I like the idea of just this, and I guess that's what Turbo Fog is all about. But having having a deck that's not really trying to do much of anything other than just keep you alive for turn after turn after turn until your opponent just loses the will to live, or I guess runs out of cards. Yeah,
0: I mean, if your opponent's having fun, you're not playing a an, and you haven't gone hard enough on the life gain fog deck. Right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So maybe you need, maybe we need more life gift.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is a build around one X for me. Like okay. I think this should be in the cube. It's probably bad, but someone's gonna look at it and have fun with it, try to yeah. make it work. Yeah, I think build around is absolutely
1: right, and one is probably the right number.
0: Yeah, it's like Shrine memories. It ex- it really expands the total possibilities in the cube. Also, this card's never been reprinted. It's nine bucks, or it's like sixteen bucks in foil. I mean, this is not investment advice. Nothing on this show is, but. I don't know. That's this seems like a pickup to me. This this feels like a card that'll keep being interesting to commander people. Get it. Get it while it's hot. Plus you think how many if you play this a commander, think how many triggers you have to remember. It's really it'll help improve your brain trying to remember all your May triggers. <laughs> all right. All right, let's move on to a a quirky, quirky card. Life Spinner, three and a G for a 3-3 spirit. Tap, sacrifice three spirits. Search your library for a legendary spirit card and put it into play. Then shuffle. And the flavor text? The husk splits like a madman's smile and mystery steps forth. Snowfur, Katsune, Poet. So I'm going to be honest on this one, Connor. I'm I'm just a straight Instacut. It's a hill giant, which is not really even making the grade in green even in kamigawa yeah technically it supports the zubera deck but also like not not really there's like nothing to tutor
1: outside the myogen but i see you've got a lot more text in the notes
0: here so i kind of want to hand it over to you
1: well i do but i have to say caveat at the beginning i didn't really it didn't really click for me until giving this card a second read that the things that you have to sacrifice with life spinner or the things that you do sacrifice have to also be spirits so I was sort of evaluating it as a sac. Three creatures get a legendary spirit. Thinking of the Mayajin, Thinking of the uh, patron of the Orochi. Thinking of uh, Seki, who will see in Saviors of Kamigawa. But then I realized you have to have spirits specifically, and creature tokens are already not that much of a thing in green in Kamigawa or in no, any color. Apart
0: from the dripping tongue Zubera, they're pretty hard, and the a, a Honda, they're pretty tough to make
1: yeah and there's like there's a few snake token generators, but you can't use those with life Spinner. so I had this at a build around thinking of some kind of setup where you'd have a a really big spirit and some tokens or something and you'd use life spinner with and like better with damage on the stack, but I just don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know if damage on the stack is gonna save this one uh, I mean I
0: guess you could set up some kind of highly telegraphed mega block and then uh, i don't think so
1: they'll never see it coming
0: it's also awkward like i feel like this is an effect that feels better on like two mana card like like shadow what's it called shadowborn apostle or something like having this effect on a hill giant is kind of strange to me because you're giving away a semi okay card like if this is like a two drop that's run out of runway in the late game like a one and a g 2-2 two, two or something then sure it's kind of gravy if it comes together but here it's like if this doesn't come together this thing's bad and if it does come together you've had to waste like i mean what probably at least seven seven mana to cheat out an eight mana thing like it just doesn't feel like you're getting anything
1: for your uh three for one of yourself there's so many cards like that in Kamigawa though where it's like any any possible you know cheating you could do with it any advantage you could give yourself is just taken away like it just it all comes too late I gotta imagine that's, you know, fear from Mirrodin. So I say we just cut it. Yeah, I agree. Let's just cut it. Insta cut. Okay, next up we have a spirit that you could sacrifice to Life Spinner. Uh, Lone Dweller. <laughs> this is one in a G. That's how I'm going to introduce every spirit from now on. No. Uh, one in a G for a 2-2 spirit. And whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tap. The flavor text says, you know its mood by the plants that spring up around it. When it is placid, fields of lilies flow in its wake. When it is angry, every stem has a thorn. Esau enlightened bushi. So Esau's back. He's bringing some, some nice flavor text for us. But I really like the rest of Lone Dweller too. uh it's a grizzly bear, which, as we've discussed, is um, a perfectly fine stat line in Kamigawa, even in green. I feel like this this spirit craft trigger, which is you know an ability triggering with casting a spirit or arcane spell. It's not. It's not doing a whole lot, but it's still helpful. It's a, it's a form of ramp, uh, and unlike some other spirit craft cards, doesn't really ask you to do anything other than just have a land in hand. The art is great. The flavor text is cool. I'm, I'm pro loam
0: Dweller. I'm also on Team, team LD here. Um, this is actually one of just two bears in the entire block, uh, which is shocking. We have wow. this, and we have Humble Budoka for back in Champions, who's just a bear with shroud. And that's it. There's no other bears. Uh, and this in general comes in the midst of like kind of a bear drought. Uh, I don't know if, did, did Watsi somehow decide bears are too good? I don't know. Uh, back in the day, they used to seem to do this thing where they would sort of turn dials up and down, like on counter spells and other things. I don't think even just from power, but like to keep the game novel and changing or something. I, I don't know exactly what the theory is, but it feels like that because there's only two bears in Kimmy Block. Huh? Bear OP. I don't think it's, I see. I don't think it is bear OP. I think it might have been something else. It's kind of like how they used to like not like to bring back cycling very often because yeah, we don't want you or... to get bored. So there's only two bears in Kamigawa. There are zero bears in Mirrodin block. And there's just one bear in Ravnica. And that's, that's pretty weird. That is weird. In all of Ravnica block? yeah i'm talking about green bears here but yeah just one bear stat line creature in all of ravnica block and even that one's like kind of on the border because it's its ability is uh is it a white ability so it's kind of a celestia bear honorary but it is a two two mana two two that's transluminant for anyone keeping score wow yeah, we should review all the bears of the bear drought. They're all uh, <laughs> super forgettable and bad, though. Um, uh, speaking of forgettable and bad, so I like this guy. I like his cute art. I like that he's a bear with upside. I will say, I think the upside here is not that meaningful. Like, something that comes up over and over, I feel like, in our playtest games. The spirit craft is kind of hard to trigger, and the ramp here is like, it's not it's not card advantage. It's just like slight mana acceleration. So I don't think it's bad. I'm happy to play him, but I don't think the upside is also that meaningful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's making that much of a difference but i do like that it i feel like a lot of the spirit craft triggers we've looked at really need you to have some other setup involved and i like that lone dwellers just you have a you have a land in your hand like an extra one you get to play that it's um i think better ramp than a lot of the other ramp that we have seen or are going to see in green
0: yeah it's it's a free roll anyway yeah i'm convinced yeah
1: so I'm a playable on this thing.
0: I, I don't, it's not auto-include. It's not iconic or anything, but it seems likely to make the cut. So I'm a playable 2X on this.
1: I have it at uh, playable 2X as well, but I'm kind of wondering if we want maybe more of these because I'm seeing the only other bear option we would have, Humble Budoka, we actually cut.
0: Sure, Let's go. let's go to three for now and see how it feels. Okay. All right, let's go to Mark of Sakiko. Mark of Sakiko is 1 in AG for a uh, enchantment aura, enchants creature. Enchanted creature has, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, add that much green mana. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Uh, so this is a, an ability that shows up like a lot in Betrayers. They seem to have decided, you know what, this can be the iconic green ability because there's like four of these coming up excuse me i should have read the printed text because also we're playing our cube with mana burn and in the printed text this also does not cause mana burn which is going to be relevant for a number of these effects because mana burn is, is kind of a thing back then i feel like this has gotten a little convoluted as i explain it because this is not worth a card <laughs> um auras need to work to justify their existence um and an aura that doesn't grant anything to make the creature better, but conditionally adds some marginal amount of extra green mana, is not worth it. So this is just a straight cut for me. I think this is really bad.
1: Yeah, I had it at a man and then uh, rethought that and let's just get rid of it. All right. It's a pity. It's a kind of unique effect, but it, it's just so bad. Yeah, we'll, we'll have more chances to uh, give this effect. Uh, not to spoil my
0: ratings, but uh, it's not going <laughs> to... It in it general. In. It's, it's too strong to call it a commander all-star. It'd be way too strong, but this actually shows up in a lot of commander decks. It's in 4,600, which I thought was cool. Cause it is, it, oh. it's a commandery effect, right? It's like, you're not as worried about getting two for one than commander. You're uh, interested in ramp. You're interested in doing quirky stuff. It does
1: something totally unique. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, I I could see it having a lot more potential there and it like works well in in enchantress style decks and stuff like that, so.
0: Yeah, although interestingly, all of its top commanders, well, its top commander is Iwamori of the Open Fist, but that's only out of 75 <laughs> decks. Um, and then Isao, interestingly, but its top real commanders are Kosei Penitent Warlord, who is indeed like a RAE commander, Thrun Breaker of Silence, who's not, he's just a big old like kind of, uh, oh shoot, a Voltron commander. Thrun, the last troll. And then interestingly, Questing Spell Beast, or quest Questing Spell Beast, Questing Beast is also uh, quite high on the list, I guess just because Questing Beast deals a lot of combat damage. I had never realized that Questing Beast was legendary. Isn't that the classic Questing Beast thing? You always forget <laughs> at least one of its abilities. There's just too much text. There's so much text on Questing Beast. Uh, but anyway, uh, we don't have Questing Beast in our cube, thank God. We do have you more. And I don't think we should have Mark of Sakiko either.
1: I agree. Let's go from auras to snakes. We're going to look at Matsu Tribe Sniper. This is 1 and a G for a 1-1 Snake Warrior Archer, which I'm guessing there are not a whole lot of in the game. (laughs) Um, Matsu Tribe Sniper can tap to deal 1 damage to target creature with flying, and whenever it deals damage to a creature, tap that creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So we've seen this kind of super tapping ability, like freezing sort of appear on other snakes in Kamigawa. And I think we've talked about how annoying it is that they don't just have like Death Touch or something, that this, this super tapping feels kind of lame to me. But I really dislike Matsu Tribe Sniper. For this amount of mana and this amount of commitment of like tap, playing the sniper and then waiting a turn and then tapping it to deal one damage to something with flying and not getting rid of it, but just kind of super tapping it, I would rather just get rid of the flyer completely. Which I feel like usually costs what, like three mana, maybe? <laughs> Two mana, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then B, I've just I don't know why, but I've always hated cards that hate on flyers specifically. This is like a green mm. thing. Why? Um, like hurricane type effects or that there's actually like quite a few in Kimigo I think, that just it feels like a feel bad waiting to happen where you just don't have the flyer to target. Like I don't like it's it's almost like a, a protection from color type card where if your opponent is just not doing flying, then they they just don't matter. And that's absolutely true of Matsu Tribe Sniper.
0: Well they're sideboard cards normally, right? Although now Watsi yeah. often like
1: staples it on to some modal spell.
0: But the, but then this guy he just the problem is he just doesn't do anything sort of regardless. Like it's still just a two-mana one-one. I mean, he, know, ba- he
1: basically uh, like stops a flyer from attacking. Like He's stops like anti-Lantern gla- Kami
0: tech. Like if your opponent is all <laughs> in on Lantern Kami, Matsu's Tribe Sniper just like, no. He'll, he'll snipe them down. I'm not going to mount a defense for this. Let's just insta-cut it. Get it out. Next up, let's go to uh, one of the most uh, competitively played cards we're going to talk about today. Nourishing Shoal XGG, Instant Arcane. You may exile a green card with mana value X from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost, and you gain X life. As I said, this has a, a past in modern doing kind of funny degenerate things. Not uh, in our cube. I don't, I don't think this could do anything degenerate. Stream of Life, which is a famously unplayable card of my youth, which is cost XG, and it's unplayable. It's stone unplayable, and this thing costs one more green mana, which I, I don't think is, is a thing. I don't think this is ever worth a card, uh, and I don't think it should be in the cube, although... I love the art. It's crazy, uh, kamigawa, Greg Staples, fish everywhere, um,
1: shoal art. So I think the art's great, but the card is terrible. It's our it's our last shoal that we'll see all these fish on. So I'm I'm a little sad to see them all go. That's basically all I got on nourishing. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not gonna really stick up for a weekend we can say goodbye to this life gain.
0: Yeah. In magic history uh, terms, it's cool. You know, this was used in modern with Grissel brand. It's cool that uh, this life gain plus what was it? Was it world spin world something? World what worm? World what? I world to- spine. Oh. World spine worm. Thank you. You know, that whole combo with Gristle brand, super cool. Um, iconic interaction, but uh, <laughs> definitely not any shenanigans we're able to reproduce. Yeah.
1: Yep. Just not there. There ain't that kind of abuse <laughs> in this cube. All right. Let's insta cut it. Another cool, probably less iconic card here, Patron of the Orochi. This is 6 GG for a 7-7 Legendary Spirit uh, with Snake Offering. That is a keyword. Snake Offering says, you may cast this card anytime you could cast an instant by sacrificing a snake and paying the difference in mana costs between this and the sacrificed snake. Mana cost includes color. And you can tap the patron to untap all forests and all green creatures. Activate only once each turn. And I'm realizing just now as I read this that it's yet another weird kind of old magic, completely symmetrical effect. It's not untap your own forests and your own green creatures. It's all of them, <laughs> which is kind of weird. <laughs> Why? And just Why? <laughs> But I, I get I, I get really why like they
0: that. did that on cheaper cards because it feels sort of symmetrical or fair or some way to like get back at you for getting an unfair advantage. But no one who's gone to the work of getting patron of the Arachi, they deserve to get all the value they can get
1: out of it. I'm glad you mentioned value though because the we've we've talked we've seen this offering mechanic uh, on the other patrons because there's one for each color and each uh, kind of mortal tribe in Kamigawa uh, and they all have this offering ability that lets you sack. A creature of the right tribe and then pay the difference in mana cost between them and then you can basically play the patron with flash but uh, th- this this keyword doesn't give you any real mana advantage right like we were just talking about not really being able to cheat with anything in kamigawa and that's totally true with the patrons because you're the snake that you're sacrificing only like discounts the patron by its own mana value so if you sack a six uh six mana snake to the patron you're only paying two to cast it but you're giving up this you know still paying the six mana that you paid for the snake to begin with and you can't use tokens for it so it's just you know another example of kamigawa trying to make sure that you don't kind of cheat anything out in any way
0: yeah although i think it's i mean cheating would be strong but i think this is eight right which is like a almost uncastable potentially or it's a risk of getting stranded in your hand so i like that you can you know you can sack say a four drop snake. And cast this for four or a five drop snake and cast it for three or three drop and cast for five. Um, Like that ability to kind of play with the mana curve, I think has some value, especially with uh, ring the bell Uh, damage on the stack, right? The snake can block or something or get blocked and then you can trade it in for the patron. So I I like that interaction. All right. In this case, especially because the ability here is not amazing, but pretty meaningful. It's basically like a mana doubler
1: plus a vigilance giver. That's not terrible. Yeah, and I guess it it does let you get the patron out ahead of curve, right? If you have the four mana snake and then uh, offer it on turn five, then you know you're getting the patron well ahead of time. Yeah, the one really awkward
0: thing about this guy is that he can't attack and untap your team, which again is like, come on, like I got an eight mana seven seven, let me attack with it. Well, I'd still do the cool thing.
1: Yeah, you could you can untap your team before you attack, right? because because they're all your team is just matsu tribe snipers that have tapped down to deal one damage to creatures with flying i mean they they have vigilance you know what i mean like they had the technology just give it vigilance oh yeah
0: before we get to raiding i love 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 the uh art on this card it's so good it's got a real miyazaki vibe to me like i get a strong like uh uh, princess mononoke sort of feel from this thing uh, like the luminous quality there's like a real feeling of like light and darkness on here and you can feel the light kind of emanating out of the patron like it, it almost seems to glow on the page and everything in this piece with just a couple of figures accepted is pure green and often i think that can look a little corny but in this case it just looks it looks great it really um it's just like the greenest magic card of all time it's great
1: yeah there's a lot of cool details on it too like i hadn't noticed until i took kind of a close look for today's episode that the bottom right corner of the art actually shows uh, a bunch of Orochi worshiping the patron. And, you know, presumably one of them is about to get offered. And then if you look really closely at the patron, it's sort of made up of uh, these, like, twisting vines and faces. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's really cool. Like the the closer you look at this, the more kind of rewarded you are by these details in what looks like a pretty simple piece of just this, you know, big green snake winding around uh, some beautiful green mountains. Uh, hats off to Christopher Moeller for this one. Super cool art. This is also the most val- valuable of the patrons uh, in terms of US dollars. I think... Probably because it sees the most EDH play. Not a lot of EDH play, but the most by a pretty substantial margin compared to its peers from other tribes. Uh it looks like a foil patron of the Arachi goes for $27. Yeah, not bad. I mean,
0: you know, I think one of the things about in terms of speculation, you know, these cards are not really getting reprinted, right? They're not going to reprint Patron of the Arachi, probably, or if they right. do, it'd be like a one-off. So I think it's a it's a there's probably some speculative investment happening there. But also, yeah, an EDH like untap all forests and all green creatures like that's the thing you want to do in edh for sure Yeah,
1: it's pretty um pretty damning for all of the patrons though that like their their abilities are so disconnected from their tribes that they don't really even make it into like tribal theme decks in commander like uh you know a rat deck is not running patron of the nizumi a goblin deck is not running patron of the Aki, and <laughs> just a little sad
0: I, I tried to find like why the patrons work this way. I haven't found like any reference to it, but it, it seems almost intentional that they're this disconnected from their tribe. And I, I wonder why, like what on earth were they thinking there? It's a really strange design decision.
1: Yeah. I mean, the I I feel like the mortal tribes just don't have that strong of an identity, right? Like I can't think of sort of a, a keyword for, I don't know, the, the kitsune or kind of a, a common ability that would tie them together in a way that you could have like uh kitsune lord that is actually a spirit
0: they all just kind of do generic things for their color maybe because right. they knew that a lot of these tribes were pretty narrow but that's not true of the goblins and even that's it after after all that guff i i like this guy i have mean, him as a playable one x playable might be generous but i think he's a pretty fun big beefy curve topper for green
1: yeah i think i think playable's right and i think we'll end up having enough snakes that this actually gets played through offering yeah you know one more thing about this card one more critique Hit with it. Why doesn't this have trample, Connor? Uh,
0: nothing has trample. <laughs> yeah, it's like a green snake that's bigger, the size of mountains, it's seven seven. Give it a trample, for heaven's sake! No. Uh, even the biggest snakes get chomped in Kamigawa. <laughs> <laughs> but one more point in its favor: it can be sacked to Life Spinner. <laughs> <laughs> it sure can. Or you you can even get it with Life Spinner. This guy's a twofer. You can you can play both sides of the Life Spinner game. All right, That's that's got to be something. Uh, that's value. All right, let's go to another card that can be sacked to Life Spinner. Petal Baku. Petal Baku is 1 in a G for a 1-2 spirit. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, put a key counter on Petal Mane Baku. 1, remove X key counters from Petal Baku. Add X mana of any one color to your mana pool. So in addition to being sacked to Life Spinner, uh, this card has a lot going for it primarily in the art department. Um, if you're not looking at a picture of it, look at a picture of it. Uh, you can go to the show notes and you'll see a link to a scryfall search that lists all the cards. If you're listening on the podcast or if you're listening on YouTube, you're probably looking at an image of it right now. Um, but anyway, this card has incredible, incredible art by Rebecca Guay. Uh, it's basically, a, it's actually surprisingly easy to describe. It is a rose bush with big clawed, muscular clawed feet underneath it kind of stomping through a sunny forest and i just love it i love how colorful it is um i love how whimsical it is and yet slightly horrifying it's just an incredible piece of art
1: this is, i think this is really the only baku art that i like that's <laughs> the most valuable baku i assume just on the strength of the gue art but i i guess it the adding mana has a little more value too
0: No, I'm I'm pretty sure it's Rebecca (laughs) Guayard. Yeah, the the actual card here is, it's like, okay-ish. It's a little bit of a bummer that it doesn't add any combination of colors. Like, again, this is one of these, like, come on, Kimigawa, like, throw me a bone kind of moments. Um, And as we've talked about a few times, Spiritcraft is surprisingly hard to trigger. But I I look at this as, like, kind of a curb filler for the green spirit deck. Uh, And if it provides some value, then great. Uh, You know, a little bit like a slightly worse version of our Lone Dweller from a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, we got to take the ramp where we can get it. So I have this at a meh. Uh, I, I struggle to think of cutting it just because I love the art so much, but I do think it is pretty bad. I have it a meh 1x.
1: I think that's fair. I had it as a meh 2x, but we ended up including one more Lone Dweller than originally planned so we can have one fewer Baku. Should we split the
0: difference and have two of each? or
1: No, nah, I, I kind of like having one Baku. You know, we have a very precise uh, science to the number of mm. copies mm-hmm. of any given card. Oh yeah. That we included the cube, so I don't I don't wanna you know I don't wanna break perfection here. Okay, uh we have a card now that cannot be sacked to life spinner, uh, because it is not even a creature. This is Roar of Jukai. Two and a G for an instant arcane. If you control a forest, each blocked creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And you can splice this onto Arcane. Um by paying the cost of having an opponent gain five life. Uh, That's an awkward one to read. (laughs) A lot of awkward stuff about this card. I had this as a mare originally, but then I realized I don't really want to defend this card at all. Um, It reads really weird. It's it's hard to think about giving each blocked creature plus two, plus two, uh, not just your own creatures. Uh, It has this weird, if you control a forest, requirement to it uh it has a very unusual splice onto arcane cost that is kind of cool but not interesting enough for me to want to think about it that much yeah i just can't see this being a pump spell that we want
0: i have a bit of a childish reaction to this which is it kind of makes my brain hurt it's just like doing so many different things on different axes that it it just confuses me and i just want to cut it to, to spare myself yeah uh the art is also super gross it's like a giant caterpillar maggot thing
1: that's ron spencer yeah there you go um
0: i assume the if you control the forest splice onto business is about like avoiding non-green decks playing this but the thing about this is okay i don't want to spend much time on this card because we're both insta cuts but it's encouraging things that i'm not that stoked about encouraging which is like making blocking even better like the defender already has an advantage in magic even more so, I think in Kamigawa block, like, and having like a repeatable version of that that also gains life, so it slows the game more. Like, I just these are things
1: I want more of. Well, oh, hold up, hold up. Roar of Jukai buffs blocked creatures. Oh, I'm sorry, jeez. And it's and it's not worth it, right? Like, you can you can totally imagine someone playing this when like they don't they haven't like carefully parsed everything on this three mana common instant. And then they play it like at a at a bad time or at a time when it doesn't work. And then they go, oh, oh, that's that's no fun. Like this was supposed to win me the game. And now I I played it when I'm blocking instead of block.
0: Yeah. In that case, the splice cost is just weird. If it was buffing blocking creatures because you don't care, you're just trying to like slow the game down, then sure. But yeah, this is like they gain life. It's like a card at war with itself. Like Kamigawa. Oh, that's good, Connor. That's good. All right, let's talk about Sakiko, Mother of Summer. Four GG for a legendary snake shaman. You can, oh, it's a three <clears> three. <throat> of course it is. Whatever creature you control deals combat damage to a player, add that much G to your mana pool. This mana doesn't cause mana burn until end of turn. This mana doesn't empty from your mana pool as phases end. Okay, so uh, here we have another instance of this uh, iconic, I suppose, <laughs> green ability of this set. On a six mana three three that again wants you to connect and deal damage. Th- this card, like Patron of the Arachi, is awkward in that it's helping you ramp at like the six mana slot, and I don't think I really need that in most circumstances. Like, there's not a lot of card draw for green to refuel with in Kamigawa, so this is helping you like deploy one extra threat, I guess. The turn you cast Sakiko, like I just don't, I just don't see what this does like in a
1: in a play sense. Yeah, it's the the ramp is coming so late. Like what what do you spend this on other than maybe like a patron of the arachi or something? And it and it's only green mana, right? Like you you can't use this to to cast any big creature from any other color that has any other mana symbol in it. I I guess this sort of has the potential to be free in a sense since you could theoretically get all this mana back if you get enough damage in the same turn. Free hill giant. Yeah, it's a, even then it's a free hill giant. I do, unlike the mark of Sakiko, this is the Sakiko behind the mark. Yeah. I do kind of want to try this just to see if it can somehow go off. Like at least this has kind of an interesting, like high ceiling, low floor sort of dynamic, in that you could you could theoretically get a whole bunch of green mana, and then I don't know, you play like your <laughs> enshrined Memories or something, and then and then get a Myojin out from there. Yeah, or um, Arachi Hatchery yeah like there there are there are like ways to spend some green mana right it could something could happen with sakiko i think often she will end up doing nothing but at least there's some interesting possibilities in a way that i don't think there really are for the similar cards that we're gonna see and have seen okay i was a harsh insta what's your rating on this Uh, i mean i I have her at a meh one x
0: all right sure meh one x is fine
1: I don't think we can go above math for a six mana three, three.
0: (laughs) Okay. We can't walk away without talking about this incredibly awkward art though. We really can't. So the art here is, um, you said, I'm going to steal a line from your notes. You said, uh, she's got Yu-Gi-Oh eyes and it's true. It's very true. She's like a, a green, like Yu-Gi-Oh snake milf crawling, (laughs) crawling out of a tree ring. Like this, this art is (laughs) so yikes. It's
1: so bad the the pose is so i think the pose other than the Yu-Gi-Oh! eyes and the the very strange mask face shape situation going on her face on, doesn't even it's weird right like even it doesn't even look like a snake person well face. look at her forehead i'm zooming
0: in on the scryfall art crop and like look at her forehead it's like kind of disconnected it does look like there's a mask sitting on top of an otherwise normal green woman's face yeah she's got way too much hair
1: also yeah, a lot of hair, a lot of hair. More hair than torso. But the pose. The pose is what really bothers me. Like it's, It, it almost looks like there are three snake people that have been stacked on top of each other. <laughs> well, part of this is the forearm
0: problem that
1: we've talked that, about. That is a problem. But if you look at the, the, the forearm problem, that's the the famous sequel to the three-body problem. <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven, it's a great Set up like the snake people. <laughs> but it's just like, you've got the forearms, they're going all over the place, and then you have a leg... A left leg coming up in a really, really weird way that doesn't look connected to the body. All Connor, all the left
0: side appendages don't make sense. Like, follow the top arm shoulder back. Like, where is it stopping? Why is it so much higher up? It's terminating in her left ear. Right. And then the next left arm is like, where's the upper arm? Like I see forearm, but where's the upper arm? Like where, like genuinely where there is no physical space for it to exist in unless it's clipping through her body. (laughs) And then, yeah, the left leg is just like way too high. It's just like, this is just a, just a yikes. We've talked about like the, the snake people in general, I don't think really worked. Particularly, I've, I've all, I think we brought it up in the Portrayers ones, or Champions, but it's been a while. There's something really inherently funny to me about having snake people who have more limbs than non-snake people. Like <laughs> it, just, it just feels backwards for them being snakes. And they don't even have tails. What's the deal?
1: Well, they don't need them. They have so many appendages to balance with. Right. They have ears. Like they, Anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot. Usually, I, I like Michael Suffin's art quite a bit. Most of the time, but this, this, it just feels like something went very wrong early on and we just couldn't get back to a place of sanity with this piece. Yeah. I'm
0: honestly not a huge fan of Michael Sutphin's art. I'm scrolling through and it's all a little bit sort of anatomically exaggerated in the way this one is. Um, so I'm curious, like what, what Michael, as an aside, what Michael Sutphin pieces do you dig? Well, let me
1: scroll through some to see. I like Cruel Edict quite a lot. I like chimeric coils and chimeric egg, so basically anything chimeric by him. <laughs> I like chimeric egg. That's pretty great. For no real reason at all, I really like De Avenant Healer from Time Spiral. Because it's just so excessively Time Spiral with the crazy
0: clothes and the salt landscape and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. This like dark, bleak salt landscape, this weird like statue thing behind her, this super exaggerated like Armor, clothing, bandage situation. Hmm. He also did Fumiko the Low Blood Austin. So
0: yeah, I didn't like that much either. Um,
1: oh, yeah, I don't I know. Did. It's just not, it's not <laughs> my style. Did. All right, that's fine. All right, I, I like his distress from
0: Kamigawa. It's very, very distressing. That's the one where like Gandalf is being strangled by cybernetic eyeball stocks. Uh, yep, it's yep. Very creepy. That's a good one. Grim, Grim Lavamancer. Wow. The OG. The OG. No uh, promo. Think... Some promo. No. Aura, right. No um from judge gift cards 2006 onward but that yeah that later became which is which when you think about it for the judges like it's always a it's always a bad manners thing when wizards reuses judge promo art in my opinion
1: yep and they they have definitely reused that one
0: okay uh well while we're just like turning this into michael sutfin cast i love his rift bolt that's that's an iconic one for me oh my god and he did top he did sensei's divining top all right all right yeah see okay but this one's not a winner (laughs) no Okay, so that all adds up to a Met One
1: X, right? <laughs> that's that's what I I want. I I think this is worth trying. All right, art notwithstanding. Okay, we have another snake here, uh, Sakura Tribe Spring Caller. This is three and a G for a two four snake shaman. At the beginning of your upkeep, add G to your mana pool. This mana doesn't cause mana burn until end of turn. This mana doesn't empty from your mana pool as phases end, and this is the The printed card as opposed to the Oracle text because Mana Burn was the thing back then. This snake makes me even sadder than Sakiko. The stats are bad. The ability to me is boring and also bad. Mm -hmm. And this art is just like totally nondescript. Like I could not pick this snake out of a snake lineup in Snake Prison. (laughs) Well, I hope you're never (laughs) in Snake snake. Prison, Connor, because that sounds terrible. I really hope (laughs) I really hope I'm not there either. But I'm
0: gonna to go to bat for this Sakika or Sakura Tribe Spring Caller. I'm gonna say I like it in almost every way more than Sakiko. Mm-hmm. And I I am prepared to call it a meh. And let me explain why. First, I would rather have a four mana two four that does nothing than a six mana three three that does nothing. Like I think that's it's bad. It's a bad body, but it's still a relevant body. It can block, it can maybe even attack, it can wear equipment, it can get in. For things that care about green creatures connecting, so I'm prepared to defend the four mana two four body here. The upside here is super marginal, but again, it doesn't ask anything of you. Like Sakiko's, like eh, eh, attack, go to go get blocked, do all this work. But Sakura Tribe Spring Caller's, like, no, bro, I just I got I'll get you one mana a turn every turn. And I think the art here is pretty good. The anatomy's a little bit awkward, but less awkward than the others. It's it's much more serpentine. Like the face looks like a snake. The arms even managed to look like snakes. Like all of it's just very, very sneaky. Uh, it's got beautiful color work. So I, um, and it's by Pete Ventures, which means it, it has to be good. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to bat and say, I think this is a solid
1: meh. Mm. I just, I find this ability so boring. It's just well, it's like super boring. <laughs> so so what, what? Why do we, why do we want it though? Because I think we
0: need snakes. You know, this for example, this is a perfect thing to sack into um into the patron, for example. So it's four mana. You know, it gets you a mana. So that you're getting a three mana patron potentially next turn, for example. It blocks all day. And like I think it's just it's just a role player. It doesn't it's like uh it's like a less flashy version. Okay, let me put it to you this way. If this was a four mana two four, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Just like uh the four mana four three, um, what are they called? The bell chaps? Bell Fighters? Bell friends? What are they called? Yeah, the bell friends. What are
1: they what are they called?
0: <laughs> no, Order no, of the sacred bell. bell. Like this bell friends. <laughs> you know, like if this didn't have text, I think it would still be semi-okay. <sighs> Really? Nothing? Uh, That's just semi-okay. Okay, I'm not looking at the numbers. Why are we including Katsu Tribe Reaver over this? I think this is better than Katsu Tribe Reaver, for example. Or at least competitive. Kashi Tribe Reaver? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're hungry. Coming up to the Katsu Tribe Reaver. Kashi Tribe Reaver. You go look it up. You look it up. You're hungry. Yeah, you said you said
1: Katsu. Did I
0: Okay, well I am I could go for a Katsu. Um, <laughs> we've got Kami of the Tended Garden coming in Saviors who wants one green mana every upkeep or he gets sacked. You know, you put those put them together. They're best friends. Two card combo. Two card combo. It's a build around Connor. <sighs> Sorry, I'm getting loopy after all these green cards. I don't know what's going on. I'm huffing all this green mana. God,
1: let me think about this for a second here. <laughs> if I successfully, I mean, Kashi Tribe Reaver like at least you. regenerates. Yeah, no, that's <laughs>
0: actually the reaver's way
1: better, but still. Yeah. We, so, including the reaver, two copies of the reaver, we already have four four mana snakes.
0: Yeah, well, that's where the snakes live and live and play
1: because they have four arms.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: It's the four is a sacred. Are you number counting
0: of, um, Matsu tribe bird stalker from Saviors? Because that no. is terrible.
1: No, that one's going. I'm counting two Kashi tribe reavers: Sachi, daughter of Seshiro, and Sosuke, daughter, son of Seshiro. Okay, well
0: those are definitely way better.
1: So, I just, like, I'm mean, I'm not saying Sakiko is necessarily better than Sakura tribe spring caller because I think in a lot of situations the spring caller probably is actually better to have but it's just less interesting
0: what about taking the kashi tribe reaver down to one and just having a whole a menu of bad mediocre four mana snakes
1: the the four for four menu
0: you know we're we're worrying a bunch about the four mana slot here what we really need to worry about is that the three mana slot which is where decks live and die and two is terrible for the snakes
1: yeah yeah it's rough
0: i mean a two, i guess you got sakura tribe elder but let's be honest it's not really a snake that's just a rampant growth yeah and at three there's just
1: there's just nothing there's just uh, the options are rough but i mean there's not much we can do about it right nope the snakes aren't there
0: okay does that did i get you to meh i'm prepared to take one of
1: the katsu all right katsu tribe uh reapers
0: whatever whatever we're calling it now
1: all right well we'll think about the katsu reapers we can have one sakura tribe spring caller at meh but no higher than meh
0: this is such a dub for me all right meh 1x Okay, let's talk about another card that can be sacrificed to Life Spinner. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> Scaled Hulk, five and a G for a 4-4 four, four spirit. Whenever you cast a spirit or arcane spell, this gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And the flavor text? Say, what rhymes with run for your lives? Cuckoo, Aki Poet. Okay, so this is uh, this is a... um. There's no, there's no sugarcoating this, Connor. This is a six drop that can conditionally become what it should be without the condition. Like si- green should get six six vanillas for six all day long. I mean, crawlworm, worm for goodness sake. It, 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 this should be a six four. It should be something.
1: Yeah. Re- really, the only thing I have to say about scaled Hulk is is related to its art. So let's insta cut it. And why don't you talk to us about this just extraordinary piece of art? We we have some true Kamigabo grotesquerie in this piece of art we've got finger legs we've got leg fingers we have tails <laughs> we we have uh, a tube we have some bulbous warts we've got really frightening musculature all over this thing mm-hmm. uh some kind of fin on the back <laughs> and then best of all we have the top half of a human face <laughs> and all of this is on top of what appears to be a blurred photograph of a rainforest <laughs> Which is kind of like Geju of the, uh, the Cedars that we saw earlier. But this looks like like actually just a photo that this, been blurred. <laughs> it's, it's
0: really, really horrifying. So hats off to the artist for that. But then also somehow really comical and ineffective. And yeah, the, the background, I mean, it's not the most interesting thing about this. Except that I think it is actually a photo. Or this is the closest I can think of on any magic card to like, wait, is the background of this actually a photograph? Like a blurred right? photograph? It sure looks like it. It, i mean it really looks like it there's no painterliness to it really there's not like a kind of in and out of focus layer to it right it's just like a kind of
1: blurry you know, treetop photo there's there's absolutely no connection between the the subject and the background no you're right it's it's bla-
0: okay whatever is going on with the background it's blatantly nothing to do with the actual art because there's no sense of like scale like I guess it's a Hulk because it looks big and freaky, but there's no sense of scale here. There's no sense of place. There's no lighting. Like there's nothing that's situated. I mean, honestly, it kind of looks like we've got the Hulk, which is this pretty photorealistic grotesquerie of like fingers and claws and all the other parts you named. Dude. We've got the the photo background. And then we've got like these flaming torches that are a lot more painterly and sort of less photorealistic than the Hulk. Like this, this art is just a jumbled mess. It is weird, in every in
1: every way. Okay, not enough to save it though. Clearly, no. Let's let's get it out of here. I don't want to look at it. Okay, back to snakes. We have Shizuko, Caller of Autumn. One GG for a two-three legendary snake shaman. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player adds GGG to his or her mana pool. This mana doesn't cause mana burn until end of turn. This mana doesn't empty from that player's mana pool as phases end. Okay, let's get this out of the way before we talk about uh this, this horrible ability. Shizuko looks basically like a palette-swapped Sakiko, who is also <laughs> done by Michael Sutfin. She's she is basically uh the Yami Yugi to <laughs> Sakiko's <laughs> Yugi. <gasps> right? <laughs> Like, we just we need to keep Michael Suffin away
0: from the snake people. Something is going really wrong here. Yugi, as opposed to just Yugi, because of her
1: uh, red eyes and kind of angry expression? Yeah, she's, she's like Sakiko, but just looks like, you know, a little bit different in the way that Yami Yugi looks a little different, a little more evil than Yugi. Connor, why is her stance so wide? Like, you can barely see
0: her left leg, but if you look, her left leg, she's adopting this comically oh, wide stance. I didn't even notice that. I feel bad dunking on another one of these Michael Sudfin pieces, but I think this is actually far worse. than That's they're so bad. Though. Like first <laughs> the figures, so The figures you say to me. The figures look like ElfQuest characters. Like I don't know if that reference is going to work for <laughs> it. But ElfQuest is this like '80s '90s comic about elves. Um, I'm sorry if you're an ElfQuest fan, but I, there's something about the art style of that that makes me physically ill. Like I want to like I want to hide. I want to throw the art as physically far from myself as possible. Like I feel repulsed and that's how I feel. That's how I feel about Elf quest. I want to, I want to like physically distance myself from it. And that's how I feel about this art. It's like the, the faces are offensively ugly. We've got these in your notes. I want, I'm going to steal another line from you. We have these like yellow laser waffles, like randomly. <laughs> what are those? Just randomly throughout the art. Like they don't, they certainly don't look like autumn is being called again. They kind of look like, you know, we've seen so many, I don't know if we, we should have been paying more attention to early Betrayer's art, but we've seen a number of pieces here. This thing, the scaled Hulk, um, the forked branch Garami that look kind of hurried to me. Like, I wonder if there's something went a little wrong in the art procurement for this. Cause like, seriously, what is going on with these laser waffles? To me, it looks like they were inserted in like Photoshop poorly to a later piece, right? Like the, the front ones are like fuzzy and out of focus. It's just weird, man. It's just weird. Yeah, They're not affecting the lighting
1: of the scene at all. The backgrounds too, like in Shizuko for sure, but like Scaled Hulk that we just saw, a lot of the green, other green cards too, just have these weird, like completely nondescript backgrounds like Fork Branch, Garami. Life Spinner actually has a kind of weird, like woody, like nothingness kind of background where it doesn't really add up into something coherent as you look like the longer you look at it and Chizuko's like among the worst of them
0: i this is like turning into conspiracy where i should say we have no evidence for this except our eyes so nobody go cite this or throw this into a wiki or something but i'm going back and like looking at the rest of the spoiler like white blue black and red i just don't see this i don't see this like weird like sloppy hurriedness i can't think of anything i know about magic art production that would mean just something could go wrong with just green but it kind of feels like it. Something feels kind of off here. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a random chance that green happens to have a lot of the worst art. But, you know, a lot of the other colors, like in black, I mean, literally almost every piece is a banger. They're all rich and detailed and Kamigawa-ish and just like freaky and cool. Like, I don't know, something something weird going on here. I don't know what it what to attribute it to. Yeah. <sighs> okay, that's that's the art out of the way, I guess. I mean, we could go for a lot longer on this one, but let's talk about the card
1: okay <laughs> it's not it's not much better no so uh let's just get a refresher on um basically the first few words of this ability at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player adds G to their mana pool
0: that, those are the critical words each
1: player <laughs> that's definitely the critical uh, word <laughs> yeah each each player those are the the operative words here Ugh,
0: it's just so bad it really is. I, I really want to find a home for it. But again, like Camigabas is not a good set to break effects like this, really. And so really, this is, this is kind of like a Howling Mine, right? Like you only play Howling Mine in a deck that's designed to make its symmetry asymmetrical. And we can't, you can't do that for Howling Mine in this set. And you, I don't think you can do it for Shizuko. Like to me, this is just, hey opponent, start turn three or four with three extra mana. You're welcome. Power out your six drop and then I'll just see what I can do about it. And like, I just don't, I mean, I could see some argument for including it just to see if we're being a little hard on it, but my gut says that, like, you're just basically handing your opponent a big tempo advantage here.
1: Like, yes, you get the mana, but they get it first. I mean, not that Howling Mind's bad. I love a Howling Mind, but, like, this is much worse than the Howling Mind type ability because I don't, I'm not sure there really is much of a way to break this. Like, if you look at EDH decks where this appears, like, the top commanders are Yurlock, this super weird, jund. The Commander that basically like reinstates mana burn as a rule.
0: Oh, I didn't know about it. Whoa, um, I got to no, like, get I never this, heard guy of this before.
1: Finally yeah, finally found my commander card. So it's Urlock, and then like memes like Feldegriff and like Group hug commanders. Checks out. I don't know that there really is like a way to actually break an ability like this other than other than Urlock's like hyper specific mana burn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Here's the biggest fear. Like, here's totally something that could happen. You spend your turn, turn three, playing Shizuko. Pass the turn. Your opponent goes, thank you for the six mana. Rend Flesh, cast a three drop, go. Yeah. Like, that is
1: brutal. That That's what's going to happen. That is what's going to happen, I think. You spent your turn and three mana and a card, uh, giving your opponent a, a free play, basically.
0: Yeah, your opponent double spells and then you have to catch up. You now have to catch up to your own card. <laughs> yep. I don't know. It's, can that be justified? I'm not sure it can.
1: No, I, I literally, I have this as a build around. And I literally have no idea why I did that.
0: I mean, it feels like one. There's just no mater- raw material to build around, I think. There's yeah. not mana sinks. That's the other thing. There's not like, there's not cards with activated abilities you can just dump mana into, like, which is the awkward thing about all the snakes with this ability.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you do you do get to keep the mana from... Face to face, but. All right, let's insta cut it. All right. All right.
0: Sosuke's summons is up next. Two and a G for a sorcery. Create two one one green snakes, creature tokens. Whenever a non token snake enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Sosuke's summons from your graveyard to your hand. Hmm. This is a tough one. I really like it. Like, it's fun. It does something really unique. It feels a little bit like a kind of bad um kamigawa version of what is it sprout swarm what is the yeah it feels like a bad kamigawa version of sprout swarm which is fun i think the biggest beef with this thing is you don't really break rate and you don't get as like you don't get that much of a freebie out of it like you pay three for two one ones which isn't great yeah you can do it again but you're stuck on mana is this what shizuko's for connor to to combo off with Susuke's summons i don't know i I don't think this is great, but I like it and also we were talking about the hold in the three drop slot for the green snake deck, like maybe this is your green three drop in the snake deck
1: i mean this is definitely good with all the like lords for um that the snake deck gets yeah i I think this does like fit in the three drop slot pretty nicely like i I like this too. it comes right before the uh wonderful four pack of of four drop snakes that we've talked- <laughs> talked about so you mm-hmm. can summons on turn three and then get it back with your play on turn four and then summons again. Yeah, I feel like you probably don't need that many snakes to make this kind of an interesting card.
0: Uh, I also, the art here is funny. It's kind of simplistic for a Kev Walker piece. It's very like kind of elemental, almost like a sketch, but... I mean, it gets the idea across. Two snakes are being brought in <laughs> to do battle. I mean, they don't look like snakes. They look like goblins because every, literally, as we talked about in the Cam- Got Champions episode, literally every snake in this entire block looks different in terms of their face. Uh, and this card's no exception. But I, I like these snakes, relatively speaking. They, they're kind of like
1: horrifying spider creatures. They are. They're more like spiders or or maybe like four-armed goblins. I don't know. Yeah, they're they're weird. This also makes an appearance in a, uh, a much Brew MTG Goldfish episode in Modern. Oh boy, um, how's, how's um, that very, very fun, advanced snake? Suit, <laughs> sounds really bad. Trial deck. I think he ends up going one and four. So. Oh no! Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, how many uh, how many of these do we think we want? Well, what's your rating first? I'm a build around. I don't
0: uh, know that. It, I guess it's a build around in the sense that if we cut a bunch of snakes, this is terrible. So
1: yeah, I guess build around. I mean, I I also have it as a build around because I think. Like, I, I wouldn't really be that drawn to this unless I already had some snakes. Yeah. And if I did have this, I'd be more inclined to draft more snakes. So I feel like that makes it build around.
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I have it at two initially. I feel like this could maybe even go up. It seems hard to believe because it's not great. But I it is a build around 2x to help
1: the snake deck out. I like that. It also makes the snake lords, the four drop snake lords that we looked at a little better. Mm-hmm, so I wonder, we're putting a lot
0: into the snake deck. I hope it can it can do something.
1: <laughs> they better show up. Okay, we have the final card in a cycle I am so tired of talking about. This is Splinter. 2 GG for a sorcery. Exile target artifact. Search its controller's graveyard hand and library for all cards with the same name as that artifact and exile them. Then that player shuffles. So we've seen this effect uh in every color so far in betrayers where you uh deal with some specific type of card on the battlefield or in hand or something and then you search your opponent's deck and graveyard and hand and all over the place for every other copy of that card and get rid of all of them Uh, i think they all cost four mana i find all of them really uninteresting and see no reason to include this one I'm with you on
0: not including it. Uh, this cycle is a little bit interesting. It's a um, reprint cycle from Urza's Destiny. Uh, I don't know quite why they reprinted it. Doesn't doesn't really need it. I do think uh, I want to pause briefly on this one uh, after insta cutting it to just say the art here is
1: really cool. It it is the coolest art I think of this this cycle.
0: It's a samurai sort of in, well, it's samurai armor I suppose embedded in a wall that's dissolving almost into a, like a deck of cards and like being pulled back into a green mist. It's, it's hard to describe. It's very abstract while also being very realistic. It's just a great piece. Um, it's by uh, Tsutomu Kawade, uh, who did 19 pieces, most of them in Kamigawa Block and a handful in Ravnica and thereafter. But just uh, almost all of his pieces for Kamigawa Block are incredible. Blessed Breath, Dripping Tongue Zubera, Genju of the Fens, Kokusho, the Evening Star, Skyfire Kirin, Unchecked Growth, Fine Kami. Like all great pieces, so hats off uh, for great art on a truly forgettable common, uncommon. Yep. Okay, well, let's cut it. Yeah, let's get it. <laughs> all right, let's talk about a card I have uh, honestly quite a soft spot for. Uh, in part because Connor, it can be sacrificed to Life Spinner. Oh, oh my goodness! We have Trap Root Kami G for a zero star spirit. It's got defender its toughness is equal to the number of forests in play uh, and so you don't miss here like i often miss here and misread that's in play for you and your opponent and it has reach so a uh one mana wall one mana defender with reach and toughness equal to the number of forests i really like this card uh i think you know green always needs some way to deal with flyers uh, as you've said it can be awkward because a lot of times those Answers are just way too specific uh, to be worth running or worth giving any attention to. But I think this thing uh, fits the bill a lot better. Almost, it feels like a modern magic card to me and that it, uh, it solves a bunch of problems. It scales into the late game, which is great. That's a nice quality for walls that can often get outclassed. It helps you deal with flyers in a pretty reliable way. Like when this gets up to three or four toughness, there's not a lot in Kamigawa that can crash through. And you know what? In the late game, this can even block like one of the dragons, which is sort of insane for a one drop. I don't know. I, I'm just high on this thing. I think it, it does what you need. And um, with Soul Shift, this can even come back from the graveyard. And that's not amazing, but there are some two drops with Soul Shift don't have a ton to hit and three drops that don't always have a ton to hit. So it's nice to have this sitting in your yard to maybe do something late game. So
1: I'm, I'm pretty high on this guy. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of a house. Like There there really are not very many creatures in Kamigawa that scale in any meaningful way. Like, like plus one, plus one counters just were not a thing the way that they are now, just all over the place. There aren't that many cards that like can sort of change the the base stat line of a creature. Even like the a lot of the equipment and auras in Kamigawa don't like do much to change actual combat math. So the fact that Trap Kami can just be like dumped on turn one, and then all you have to do is just like keep playing the game, and you get a bigger and bigger blocker that uh, is keeping you alive. I think is pretty great. Uh, the only thing I don't like about this, and it's not a
0: critique of its playability, uh, it's actually a plus for its playability, but from a design standpoint, I don't like that this counts all for, for us. It's just confusing. It it reads poorly. It reads counterintuitively for a modern Magic player. But I suspect even back in the day, sort of like how uh, they changed Shroud into Hexproof because so many new players were confused by Shroud. I feel the same is true here. The intuitive feel for, for it is different from how it actually plays out you know it makes your opponent feel bad for really no reason it gets better and worse
1: randomly like it's just i don't I don't like that design it's weird we've we've talked about you know how a lot of the cards from kamigawa and kind of from earlier in magic you know they they kind of ask more of you and they're less just uh like powerful as soon as you play them yeah it requires some setup or they're they're symmetrical in a way that asks you to sort of uh break them and and change the way that they're interacting with other cards to make them benefit you more than your opponent. And trap root kami is like like you said, actually helping you uh with this confusing ability, but it just it just feels bad. Like you you know, if you're on the other side of the trap root kami, it's already annoying enough. And now for like some dumb reason the two forests that you have in play are making that trap root kami that much better. And there's just not really anything you can do to affect that other than like not play forests. It's just not, not fun or interesting.
0: One, one thing that's also a win, though, in this card for me is uh, I like the flavor. I, I love art on Kamigawa cards. I love all the crazy Kami. One challenge a lot of them have is it's hard to connect Like what they do and how they look and the names, like those don't always kind of click for me. And they really click here. Like it's a root or it's got roots running everywhere. As the forests get bigger, it gets stronger because its roots can reach further. It can reach up to snag flyers, like the art, the mechanics, the name, they're all supporting each other in a way that I really like. Yeah, it works. All right. Oh, uh, we didn't really get to rating. Um, I have it as, I had it as a meh, but as I talked about it, I'm upgrading it to a playable because
1: I just think this is like a solid role player for green. I have it a playable 2X. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, let's call it playable. And this actually could be something sacked to Life Spinner that might make a little bit of sense. Right, if only we had Life Spinner in the queue. But, you know, it's great that it could be sacked to it. (laughs) Yeah, something to think about. Okay, we have uh, up next, Unchecked Growth. Two and a G for an instant arcane. Target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. If it's a spirit, it gains trample until end of turn. The flavor text says, that energy was once granted to growing things. Now the Kami keep it for themselves, releasing it in sudden floods that overwhelm flesh and foliage alike. Sakiko, Mother of Summer. Sakiko again. So green, as we mentioned, really has very little trample going on in Kamigawa, and I feel like it needs all the evasion it can get. And unchecked growth is bringing that.
0: Yeah, pretty much. There's also not a ton of combat tricks in this block, and so uh, just having one is great. Um, I like that this nudges you into the spirit deck, but doesn't completely require the spirit deck. There's not that many cards that kind of cross over nicely like that. Uh, So yeah, I I like this thing quite a lot. I also like flavor text here quite a bit bit to me it does a good job sort of illuminating the role the kami play in guiding and shaping the natural world like it clues you in better than i think a lot of other cards do into understanding like well what are the kami how do they relate how's it different from what you might be used to if you're used to like western mythology or like western religion or something so i think i think it's a quite effective uh piece of flavor text yeah the first sentence actually really like uh through keep it
1: for themselves then it's just kind of cornball to me but that's <laughs> fine i do like the art here too, it, it it sticks to the flavor text a little bit too closely, or rather, the other way around. Like the flavor text uh, is kind of too descriptive of literally what's happening in the art. Like it says that energy was uns- granted to growing things, and then you look at the art, and there's like a kami with this glowing ball of energy. Is that a bad thing? I feel like that's a good thing. It's like it's all coming together. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a little too on the nose for me. I feel like. Well, it's it, it's almost like you're you're seeing behind the curtain a little bit in the. <laughs> <laughs> the flavor text. It's like almost process.
0: fourth wall breaking or something.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Huh. Yeah, I can see it's that. It's not it's not quite like I want a banana this big, but <laughs> like it's it's moving in that direction.
0: Yeah, it's by uh Tsotumu, Tomu again. Same artist as uh, Splinter. Great piece.
1: Yeah. It's got the uh same dripping tongue as Dripping Tongue Zuberit.
0: That's right. He was uh, he really had a thing for the giant tongues. They work. They work.
1: Yeah. What's all that add up to?
0: Uh I've I've got this as a um playable 2x? Yeah, I also have it at playable. I waffled on the quantity. I think like <sighs> I, I we're gonna have to do a cuts episode once we finish Betrayers. I think our quantities are getting a little wacky in terms of mana curve, but I'm fine starting it at a two. Okay. I mean I don't think there's yeah. a deck that wants two of these. I don't think do you ever want more than one? I don't think so. Probably not. Maybe it is a one X. Mm, maybe we just leave it at one then. All right, let's talk about uproot Uproot is 3 energy for a sorcery arcane put target land on top of its owner's library and the flavor text we arrived at the battlefield too late again another error on your part and you will have to answer to me personally general takeno letter to the imperial mapmaker so uh I, I think we should permit ourselves connor 1 um xyz at home joke per season uh and i'd like to use mine here here it comes um this is plow under at home it's okay. uh, it's no plow under is it I I like this because I like plow under Uh, it's, it's unfun. It's brutally unfun to play against, but it's memorable. It leads to memorable (laughs) swingy games of magic, but I do think one versus two lands is like a really, really large difference. And I'm not quite sure what
1: to do with that. Just hitting the one land and for only a one mana discount from plow under is kind of, brutal like this sets your opponent back a turn but that's very very different from having the like going down two lands and then drawing (laughs) two lands this feels like a card where the the premium that you're paying to have this be an arcane spell is really showing in a way that i I think makes it pretty bad i'm not sure what you want to splice onto uproot at sorcery speed our next card would be great to splice onto uproot yeah (laughs) I yeah i guess so I don't know. I like the idea of uprooting someone, but I'm not sure it is, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it's really going to have much of an impact on the game. So we've talked a lot, a little bit about a Bant kind
0: of fog, turbo fog, life gain, mill them out kind of archetype. I feel like uproot is pretty all right in that. Like you splice one of the fogs or something. Well, I guess fog kind of awkward you, you, you splice our next card vital Surge, which gains life onto this thing you know you're stalling a little bit more you're slowing your opponent down further you're just like millimeter by millimeter clawing out some advantage some distance i don't know is that a thing yeah
1: i mean i i do like the idea of that and i like i would hope that something like that could be a thing in the cube so maybe maybe we can't try uproot and just see if it matters i suspect i I feel like with just how grindy games end up being without either player trying to (laughs) do anything fog related the games just end up being grindy anyway and i feel like uproot is just sort of slowing things down even more but yeah then we can try
0: i'm trying to think about this in terms of like card advantage so basically you're taking a turn off in order to have your opponent take a turn off Uh, that doesn't seem that good no like plow under is good because you you get ahead you're time walking potentially double time walking this thing you're like kind of you're fogging right you're kind of just stalling everything for a turn
1: yeah you're you're kind of fogging but without actually (laughs) preventing any damage
0: yeah but you are preventing like advantage from being accrued and if you splice onto it
1: you're sort of like still getting ahead in the sense that you know if you have land you're you're moving ahead on mana while your opponent is not you're potentially drawing a useful card while your opponent is not well but you spent a card that's that's what's kind of right yeah but your
0: opponent lost the land drop i think your opponent loses very slightly more than they than you did although you had to spend mana i don't know it's a weird card
1: yeah that well that's that's kind of what i mean about like this arcane premium showing through a bit it's like you're you're paying extra to have this be arcane so that you could in theory like trigger a spirit craft ability or splice something onto it but those are just so rarely so rarely have much of an impact i feel like you're you're not getting much for that premium but like i'm i'm willing to try it i think it could be at least an interesting thought experiment
0: well, I also think like the fact we're struggling so much to evaluate this card. Like, I think a lot of times when it's hard to evaluate a card, you need to play with it. You know, like it, it's a sign that you're just not able to do it in a vacuum. And I feel like that's true here. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. So I have it as a build around 2x, which might be generous. I just feel like one of these, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this gets better in multiples, but nah, Um, also bad.
1: Why don't we say build around? I have it as a mad 1x. Why don't we say build around 1x?
0: Okay, all right.
1: Is that acceptable?
0: Yeah, it's acceptable.
1: All right, let's bring it home with another arcane spell, Vital Surge. One and a G for an instant arcane, you gain three life. And you can splice it onto arcane for one and a G. Yeah, this this is uh, part of our our burgeoning turbo fog strategy. It's It's basically a green candle's glow. Yeah, pretty much. Right, it has the same mana value. same Looks
0: slightly worse, but pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, same mana value, same splice cost. More or less the same effect, except you're not preventing damage on top of the life gain, but you're potentially also gaining more life than you... Right, it's unconditional. You don't have to prevent anything. Yeah. It's funny they felt a need to have two of these
0: um, in the block, two nearly identical cards, but, <laughs> but I'm here for it. Trying,
1: they're trying to tell us something, Austin. That yeah, we yeah need they are. I'm, I'm here work. for this
0: weird, bad, bant... Banned life gain fog mill them out slow the game down to a crawl deck i don't don't know that it works but
1: i'm here for it okay so so how many how many of these does that translate to three because because i just don't think it like uh, well we have four
0: candles glows which admittedly might be madness because i think like you just you need a lot right if it's going to be a whole deck like this this deck if it works which is which is a big if is going to have like the storm problem right like nobody else wants these cards. But they, this deck really needs these cards, and so I do worry it's going to yeah. clog up packs and never do anything. But therefore, I think we need to go hard, especially
1: with the with the size of the cube as it is right now. <laughs> You're we're gonna, we're gonna address that soon. Yeah, gonna have a hard time finding uh, all your turbo fog pieces. Right, but. If you can
0: get them, or you need a lot of them, right? You can't just have like one candles glow and one vital surge right. and call that attack. Right. So I think we should start with three, and then when we do our big adjustment episode soon, maybe we cut all of everything down, and then we can have two of each of these silly things instead of three.
1: Okay. There are also three um, kind of silly looking spirits in the art, so that seems appropriate.
0: Oh, there you go. We can never have less than three then. All right, Connor. We are pushing here into hour three, which means this podcast can actually be sacrificed to Life Spinner. Finally, I hope uh, I hope, Connor, it's been a real life gift, uh, and that you have enshrined it into your memories. Oh, I always do. <laughs> um, uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, follow it on YouTube or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. It's in both. So if sometimes you like podcasts and sometimes you like YouTube, you know, subscribe both places. Enjoy clock spinning in both places. And if you enjoyed it, uh, share it with a Magic Playing friend, share it in a Discord chat, like it, comment. Honestly, uh, I know everyone says it. These things mean a lot. They help new people discover the show. It's still pretty small, still pretty niche. It's a growing community. We want you to be part of it. And if you have thoughts or memories to share on any of the cards we talked about today, especially Life Spinner, please comment on YouTube or Reddit. Uh, We want to hear from you. Until next time, though, I'm Austin. And I'm Connor.